Hello and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast. I am your host, Neve, and I'm joined today by my, uh, as always, co-host, Connor. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us again. And uh, today we are going to be covering episodes 14 through 20 of Neon Genesis Evangelion. I don't really have a funny bit planned for this intro, so like we can just get into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds good. I think my only like preparatory comment is this is where I do think this is kind of a turning point in the series. You could argue that it escalates throughout in like a, a certain direction, but this is where second half of episode 14, it seems to kind of turn and start pushing more into the like outright weird psychodrama stuff. So I know you're excited yeah, to talk it, about that. It definitely like moves more into um I'm going to say experimental animation although mm-hmm. like that's often a thing it gets applied to Evangelion and I don't think it's actually doing much that's like particularly unique for animation broadly but for like an anime like this that up until this point although it's like has been touching on Freudian things and stuff has like still been fairly straightforward in terms of how it's like animated and handled. These episodes get a lot more of like, Oh, these are like, we are using montage and voiceover or we're like using different little animation things to, to try and suggest something that's like beyond just depicting like here are events happening in the same way. So that definitely picks up here. Also, in between the last episode people heard and then this episode, we actually had like basically a month because we recorded a question bucket. So I will say I actually appreciated that we got back into this with a clip show. <laughs> um, it was kind of nice being like, oh, yeah, those were all the angels. Yeah, that's yeah, so, a nice yeah. little refresher. If you want to do a synopsis here of episode 14, the half clip show. Yeah. Um, um, so episode 14, uh, we start with essentially a clip show 
that is summarizing the previous angel encounters. It's it's actually framed as like an official report within Seal, and it takes um, like bits of interviews, um, diary clips from various characters read in their own voices, but overall just recounting stuff we've already seen. It then concludes with Gendo uh, denying that there was an attack on the Madre system by 11th Angel, so denying what we've literally just saw. Um, we uh, we then get a montage of images set to a monologue from Ray and her conception of self, uh, question mark in parentheses, uh, which turns out to be her interior experiences during a test to synchronize with Ava Unit 1. After the success of, of this test, uh, they nerve then try Shinji in Unit 0. Asuka asks why she isn't being tested in a different Ava, and they distract her from the question by saying she wouldn't want to pilot anything other than Unit 2 anyway. But there's obviously an implication that they're doing, you know, they're doing this because they know it wouldn't work. During the test of Shinji in Unit 0, it once again goes berserk, trying to smash the observation window. Uh, except this time Ray is in the position where Gendo once stood. And it's pretty clear that uh, Unit Zero is, you know, trying to target Ray. Um, yeah. At least visually it's set up this way, which then gets contradicted by by what Ritsuko claims. Right. Ritsuko claims that Unit Zero is trying to target her. Um, so there's some some point of contention there. And then we, at the end of the episode, we get an ominous scene of Ray in Unit Zero uh, carrying uh, what is introduced as the Lance of Longinus uh, to do something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something. <laughs> um, maybe we'll figure out later what that, what that something is. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, if people are listening to this, they've, they've maybe already watched the other episodes we're going to discuss, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think like, I mean, just the, the first part here that's interesting to me is one, like, the first half is obviously a clip show, but I think there are some smart things that, that this like show does. One is like all of the dialogue between characters. Like there are scenes where dialogues were talking or where characters were talking to each other, where they've removed that dialogue and instead have overlaid, like there's still the sound effects of the battle happening, mm-hmm. but then they have like, Oh, here's like a diary entry from like Hikari or something. And that, one is interesting, especially in like how much we've been talking about in previous episodes, the manga is allowed to have more introspection and allowed to have more internal monologues. And then this episode is like basically like the, the main thing that you hear are things that are monologues, often internal monologues or like, like a diary is itself kind of an internalized, like I am writing this in a diary. That's why like I latched in onto that one in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like often kind of a, an, an attempt to like put some sort of internal monologue onto paper where you can save it or even just like go through the process of trying to write out what what's happening and like make sense of it that way. And then also the way that it is doing this clip show thing, but then it goes into this montage of like with like Ray's monologue over it that is using some of the similar techniques of like 
quickly cutting different images, but is now doing it in this like more abstract way that isn't just directly tied into here's a like recounting of the episodes that you just watched. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that like, those are kind of my, my initial thoughts here is just like, this is, this is interesting as an exposition episode. My mind is like in some ways, reaching to a very different exposition episode that we talked about, which is that like laughing Ram, uh, uh, laughing man chat room yeah. one. Yep. But you know, this is like, this is the, the most heavy, like, Oh, there's like, like most of what you see here, aside from Ray's monologue feels like some attempt at like very clear exposition of like, Oh, stuff is like popping off in nerve in a way that was maybe suggested before, but never really like, like these episodes just hit on it a lot harder and it becomes a lot more clear that like nerve is up to weird things. We, the relationship between nerve and Zele is not like fully drawn out here, but there's like definitely things happening there as well where you're like, Oh, these like two organizations seem at odds, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I don't know if you have like any, any other initial thoughts. I'm just like, what even is this episode? Um, I know I'll have more thoughts on like Ray's monologue, but so this was actually an interesting experience. I've been having a lot of these experiences, which maybe is not surprising, but rewatching Ava, my uh, finding out that my memory of something was not as good as I thought it was, <laughs> um, you know, and considering the circumstances that I watched Ava under, uh, that probably makes some sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, my memory of this episode was like that it was just entirely like clip show summary in a way that was almost like off-putting and completely one-dimensional, where it was just like start to finish, just revisiting all of these encounters. And watching it again, I see that that's really like not at all what it is. And you're right, there is a lot of clever stuff going on in this episode. We haven't even really started talking about part two of the episode yet, but smashing together this, first of all, this clip show part one, or like pseudo clip show, with... Uh, part two, which is kind of a turning point for the series and does a lot of weird stuff that you've touched on, but also just the framing of the clip show bit. I think you point out rightly that this framing is really interesting. First of all, it the framing of it as like an official report to, I, I said seal earlier, that's how I've always thought of it, but maybe it probably is Sele. Yeah, um, it's, I mean, the like actual... German word I think is even slightly more but it yeah I I would just say it like Zele uh, Zele okay this is yeah. now the official ghost diverse pronunciation it it reminds us that Zele has access well is performing a level of surveillance that maybe was suspected but not really made explicit and somehow it has access to uh, all of these materials um, whether like diaries or interviews or whatever, that it's kind of hard to make sense of. Like, well, until until later episodes that we're going to address here. But initially, it's kind of hard to make sense of why they have access to all of this. So it also creates a kind of like distancing effect with the exposition, where it's like, yeah, we are getting some exposition, um, but it's still very fragmentary. 
and it's filtered through this lens of like an official report, which, you know, is obviously distorting in some way. And again, it doesn't really clarify much. Um, and then we also get like, as you pointed out, some of these diaries, which hint at a kind of interiority almost, but because they are like now being relayed to us through, you know, two degrees of separation, there's some like alienating aspect of that where it doesn't necessarily have the same effect of like this typical anime trope of, you know, the character like in a dialogue and then we get their their voiced like internal monologue, you know, exactly what they're thinking um, in that situation. So, yeah, I think that's, there is some stuff going on with this clip show thing that is interesting. Yeah. One thing I I was thinking of while you're talking just now too, is that like, I feel like in all the episodes before this, a lot of the exposition was, it was almost like we would get the, like, here's the, official in terms of like for public consumption story about like oh what are angels what is like what was the second impact blah 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 and then often we were kind of just getting people being like oh you still believe that story like let me tell you a little bit of like what the like what nerve knows right like especially with like shinji as a figure and for the first half of this episode, we kind of get this, like, oh, here's a, like, construction of an official, like, nerve or, like, Zele report on what's happening. And we also get that, like, contrast at the end of, like, oh, Gendo's trying to cover up that this was an angel attack that, like, reached the Magi system. And Zele is, like, kind of aware that it's, a like, a cover-up is happening and... To, dump, to some degree caring and to some degree not and so we're like starting to get some of that like oh there's like this different there's these different perspectives on what should be happening right now um, and people like trying to do their own machinations basically and then from this point on we're going to start like we get moments of like Gendo and Fyutsuki talking in a way that we just haven't seen before like at the end of this episode um, we get ones where they're like they are now talking about things and still sometimes we're getting piecemeal like this is jumping ahead a little bit to like the beginning of episode 15 mm-hmm. but there's this part where they're talking about the human instrumentality project which I think has come up before and like how different projects are progressing and then refer to Ray as if she is a project mm-hmm. as well that is like progressing and that is a, a very different, like, it's still kind of fitting into this, here's a, like, drip feed of information, but now we are starting to get it, like, more directly from the source than I think we ever have before, um, as, like, the series progresses. Yeah, and I think, I know I have some, like, bullshit time allotted in this episode to talk about the narrative <laughs> style of Ava that I didn't get around to last time, but I think, in a way the exposition that we get in Ava, it is so fragmentary. It intentionally is so fragmentary that like in as much as it is illuminating certain aspects, um, it is like casting even more into shadow. It, in other words, it brings up more questions than answers almost always. And this episode is a good example because I, I had a note in here where it's just like, in part two, I think part two starts with or one of the first sequences is the human instrumentality committee like meeting 
Yeah. And there's like, oh, here's a typical anime moment where like the schemers reveal their master plan, where they're all talking amongst themselves and you get your like exposition bullshit in and you're like prepared for it as the viewer. And then they just start talking about the fucking Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> and it's just like, holy shit, what? what, where did that even come from? Yeah. <laughs> and there's so much of that stuff in Ava. We mentioned the Lance of Longinus, where it's just like, yeah, here's a shot of fucking Unit Zero carrying the Lance of Longinus. And I think that that is an integral part of the narrative style um, that does have an effect which maybe I'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back to you. <laughs> um, so I know like for me, for my purposes with this episode, I think the, the part that I find really interesting here is a lot of the stuff around Ray, which includes the monologue as well as like unit zero rioting or like, you know, trying to attack Ray or maybe Ritsuko or who knows as well as like, here and then also in the the beginning of the next episode we kind of get this these things around like that gendo is like i forget if it's at the end of this episode or the beginning of next one where fuyutsuki kind of comments on like gendo's too like kind to ray or something or is like too attached to to her as like something that it is I forget what the exact line is, but like, you know, that, that like, You're there's some sort of sentimentality tool. there yeah, <laughs> that like doesn't exist with the other projects that are happening. And yeah. So like for me too, there's a part of me that's like, Oh, the, the people who claim that like Ray is just a doll and like has no personality and, you know, potentially doesn't even have a soul is like you like clearly didn't even fucking watch this episode because you just said it was a clip show and like skipped it or something yeah (laughs) because we get like you know i was talking about how little interiority we get from ray in the show in terms of the manga because i forget i forgot that we like get an entire monologue about like here's me trying to go through like understanding myself and how i relate to others um and then one of the things I find really interesting here as well with this like struggle for identity and self is there's this like early on in the monologue, the sky is blue and then later on it's red. Um, and of course, like the two dominant colors of Ray, who is otherwise like very pale and wears a white plug suit is like the blue. So she has the blue hair and, you know, I think some blue accents in the plug suit um, and then her red eyes. And she like specifically talks about hating red, which is the color of her own eyes. Um, and so there's like this weird, expression you know we, we we've been talking about and i think the show like leans into eyes being the windows into the soul and so like ray specifically saying like i hate the color of my own eyes feels significant to me in a way mm. that i don't think is like fully coincidental so yeah like this is a this is an episode that i feel like I'm probably going to watch it again, like at least by the time we get to end of Evangelion, at least like watch through the monologue again and think about it some more because I don't like fully have a concrete, like here's what this whole monologue is about. But I, I do think it's in like this episode is one that I, in a way that I conceived of here are the important Ray episodes before we went in. And this is where I'm like, where, I, where I'm like, Oh, this also needs to be like pulled out as an important Ray episode because she like really is the focus of this one. Yeah. I was also surprised. Um, Cause I, I didn't remember 
I remembered this, as I said, just like as a clip show. So I was pleasantly surprised when I saw this part. I think so much of the stuff going on with Ray is like there there is content that is revealed later that I I don't know if we should go into now because of spoilers. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a part of me that's just like I, I want to just I wanna just like say some of the things, but I think I I I think what I'm gonna say here, and I think this is stuff that if you've been paying close enough attention to the series, like you have seen and we can maybe avoid like what's the like a big final spoilers that are happening. So one, I think also if someone is reading the manga, they, they may notice that I believe, I don't know if actually the new, like, I don't know if they've retranslated it with the the later releases, the original releases that I have from the very beginning. I know that they refer to the Ava using like she, her pronouns consistently, which is a thing that happens in an episode that we watched. Yeah. But that, in general, the show has said it, and in the manga, they are, like, immediately doing she, her, as if they are, like, talking about a boat or something. <laughs> um, but there is a, a, a humanness to the Ava, and we see in these episodes the Ava continually being linked to, like, images of motherhood, um, which I'm sure we'll get into more when we, like, really talk about like especially the last episode that we watched Mm -hmm. um so i don't want to like just completely jump into this whole conversation but then we're also seeing these these things that are linking ray into this as well so there's an episode later on where again like i just want to like bring it to the surface so we can like talk about some of this stuff now but then we can talk about the actual scene later but where like shinji compare like says to ray you looked like a mother or like you looked motherly Mm -hmm. next episode yeah um, and so that's like also further tying some of this stuff in. And then also like the final episode that we get to, we have an image of the Ava wrapped in bandages in the same way that Ray had. Mm-hmm. So like, I want to put on the table, like we can like save what are like the big final reveals that we haven't gotten to yet in the show. But if you are watching closely, like it is incredibly intentional on the show's part that they are drawing parallels between motherhood, Evangelians and Ray. <laughs> For sure. Like, repeatedly across these episodes. Yeah. And and also specifically, like, drawing things out with Ray, too, around, like, what is what does it mean for me to be an individual that, again, like, I don't want to go into the final spoilers, but that, like, I think a key part of Ray is, like, how do I, how do I figure out how I fit into the world and, like, differentiate myself when, like, the one part I will say is that, like, basically of all the characters who seem to have like in some ways been destined by systems to like fulfill this role of Ava pilot, like Ray is the one who's like most specifically just like her destiny was always to be a pilot. And I I won't go into more detail than that, but that's like, I I think also part of what is being played with here and, and we'll get further developed and we can like talk about it when those scenes happen and maybe talk about it with like, (laughs) the guest which we have now found out is going to be our second guest on the podcast yeah <laughs> everybody here for for guests on the podcast yeah so yeah i think so yeah i don't know if there's anything else you want to like quickly put out now to talk about things yeah i'll um, just i'll but... put out like i i don't want to artificially like obviously restrict our conversation so it if, if there are things about Ray 
Like, there's a whole ton of shit that's, like, going on with Ray in the background right now that will eventually be clarified, like, you know, as you have just articulated. I think to respond again to this reading of, like, people not seeing depth in, like, the portrayal of Ray's character, I will just say that even at this point, when all of this other stuff that will eventually be revealed is still like is is still in shadow there is it is very obvious um the show makes it very obvious that there is a lot going on with ray at this point it seems like there is some sort of i'm thinking specifically of the end of this episode and then i think it was one of the episodes we did last time where we first see her in like the tube of lcl and yeah, I think it's the next episode that like she's in the tube, and I think we may have seen her before. Okay, it's that. whatever the, yeah. the first time we see that. Her I know what happens in episode fifteen. Yeah, yeah, we we definitely do see it in episode fifteen, but there are very like loaded glances that are exchanged between her and Gendo, and and also I, Ritsko in episode fifteen, I think. Yeah, and I think at this point there is a strong implication of Ray working with Gendo to do, you know, whatever this, like, creepy ulterior, like, plan is that we're getting hints of. I think the show is strongly implying at this point that Rey and Gendo are, like, in cahoots or working together um, Yeah, I I think the, like, refinement I would do on that as well is, like, the part that I'm pushing back against is just specifically the cahoots part, because I think even in what we've seen so far, there is a certain like evocation of grooming happening. Like even just in the fact of like, like Ray is in the test tube naked is like a young girl. And then here's like a Gendo, this adult man. And so like, I want to highlight that too, because I, I think the show is already setting up that that relationship is like, they are not cahoots in the way of like Ray is like, is like fully with her own consent and with her like own desires necessarily engaging in like, I'm going to do this plan with you. Like, I think there are things that will get more complicated that we, we talk about, but I think it's important yeah. when we get to like, what does Ray end up doing to have that be framed? Not as like just her, like, Oh, she's like deviating from a plan or something or is like, taking charge in different ways, but that it is like specifically her breaking free from Gendo as like the true villain of the show. And as a, a person who, again, like, I don't know how I, I have to get to later episodes to know exactly how much I want to like literally push this, like Gendo is grooming this young girl, but that is also like, that is certainly a, a connotation and a vibe that is happening throughout the depictions of that, that, whether or not it like gets explicitly made into like, Oh, this is a grooming thing. I think it's something that the show is like intentionally playing with, or at least is like engaging with in some way where like, I'm probably going to have a a content warning for the entire series about like grooming because I, some of this stuff I think could be triggering to people who have like gone through that experience. So that that's to like say that, like, I don't think you were necessarily saying like, Oh yeah. Like Ray's like, you know, total partner in crime or whatever with Gendo here. Oh, um, no. But I just want to like make that explicit for the listener as well. That like, 
what is happening here feels particularly gross on Gendo. Yeah, um, and let me clarify, like, I'm not saying that that is even truly the case. I'm yeah. just I'm just saying that, like, e- even at this point, like, the viewer, I, I think, gets an impression that this is what's happening, not that this yeah, is and actually that, what's happening. Which That Ray is, at the very least, far more aware of other plans that are happening than like the other pilots are yes and and is and is doing these plans whether like whether fully willingly or like through coercion yes and i i will also add that like to to further like deepen this um and to like make this overall point that we're making about ray like obviously being being a very interesting character from the from the jump I think you point out rightly that there's like many layers to Ray's portrayal and her relationship with Gendo, uh, starting with like we see her wheeled out on a gurney and he's like throw her in the machine. Yeah. Um, and then like the grooming that you mentioned. But then also, I, I do think that there is a, again, like I'm not saying that this is truly the case, but I think there is a, impression uh a very vague silent impression even at this point that there is a deeper like intelligence and power and agency like within ray that there are moments where like i think you can see even here some element of foreshadowing of like maybe on some level ray is like has some control over Gendo or something, which like later, you know, things happen with that later where it's kind of like, oh, the tables are kind of turned. Um, and Ray reveals that, you know, there is some deeper like power and intelligence going on. And I think, but I think all of those things like coexist. I'm not diminishing the grooming thing. But there is some sense about Ray that, like, she also has this, like, this deeper, like, grasp on what, on like, the things that are happening. If that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah, I. It's one of these things where, especially because we get so little, like, interiority to Ray early on as well, that it's like. There are just different, there are ways to read exactly what's happening with her. And part of me is like, I just, I want to get to like the final episodes and the end of Evangelion, especially where I can like really draw out, like, here's how Ray is portrayed in the manga. Here's the Ray from the show in Evangelion, like end of Evangelion. And that my read in general is that actually like those rays are not very different in the same way that like i don't think most of the characters are actually fundamentally different Mm -hmm. it's just the like way that they are allowed to express themselves reaches different conclusions um and and so some of that stuff with like i want to just be able to really talk about that with the manga when we like finally go into ray yeah Um, and so that's also part of the reason why i'm like this episode's really interesting and i'm also gonna probably rewatch it (laughs) like before we you know wrap all of our conversation on ray yeah um and even with like the spoilers aren't even really the main reason why I don't want to get into that. It's just that, like, 
I'm literally not even prepared to give like my final read on Ray, mm-hmm. just based on my memory of like what happened. Like I, I still need to like watch the remainder. I know I still need to watch the remainder of this before I'm gonna be like confident in giving my final like this is what Ray is all about. Yeah, it is one of those things where I kind of went into this. There's a part of me that went into watching the show being like, okay, like I reread the manga after coming out as trans and being like, oh, I identify a lot more with Misato now. Um, and also I kind of, I, I have switched in my brain from, I was a, I thought that I was a boy and I like thought that Ray was this cute girl or whatever in the way that like, I, I in particular had a lot of like infatuation with fictional characters because I'm, I'm kind of demisexual, which means that I just like, don't actually feel attraction to most people unless I like am friends with them. And when something is like a fictional character, I can then like, it is more of a fantasy. And so it is easier to then like imagine the relationship rather than this is a tangent. But anyway, (laughs) I like, I I had a crush on, on Ray and me having crushes on fictional characters were like the primary form of crush that I had. And when I read the manga recently and watching the show now, I'm identifying more with Ray, but I'm also identifying with Ray as like this weird gestalt of like, when I watched this show, and I was going through it, I identified with Shinji and part of me still does. And yet now in retrospect, I actually like see myself and my journey more in Ray than I was at the time. Because when you are trans and you have like weird crushes on girls, a lot of it is this like weird mix of like, I want to be with this person, but also I want to be this person. So, and that I think was like happening to some degree with, with Ray, although also it was just like, I was deeply depressed and suicidal. And I I think like Ray very, like Ken, Kensuke comments on Ray doesn't seem to value our own life. And, but there's like something going on with there beyond just like pessimism. It's yeah. Um, It's something mysterious (laughs) that is like deeper and older (laughs) than, uh, than, than us. Yeah. Um, But anyway, like, so Ray is this character that I, I still connect with. And so I went into watching like the anime being like, am I going to have the same feelings as when I read the manga or am I going to identify with like other characters? Um, and so far it actually has mapped the same. I had a certain amount of like, you know, oh, I'm like Ray, but am I going to watch the show and be like, oh no, I'm Asuka because I am a bit of a brat, but especially watching the show this time and like having this whole like female impersonator thing that I've been talking about. I'm just like, and like it continues to hit in these episodes. Like Asuka is like impersonating Misato in this way where I'm like, no, I actually am just the more like genuine messy bitch than the like teen girl who's trying to emulate that. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if you have more comments. That might be a good moment to go on to episode 15. <laughs> yeah. I, I have some comments, but um, we, we should move on. Um, it's nothing that can't be the, the main themes that I'll, I would comment on here are like, hit often throughout this uh, suite of episodes so yeah we should we can we can move on yeah so speaking speaking in terms of uh misato being a messy bitch and asuka trying to emulate her (laughs) um so episode 15 again like i talked a little bit about some of the stuff at the beginning here with gendo and fiyutsuki we also get that scene that we mentioned previously of shinji watching rei wringing out a cloth and saying that she looks like a mother um which is 
something that Ray like blushes about. And then like this episode kind of is shifting focus in general. So it, it gets a little bit more like, oh, here are clear narratives that we're jumping back and forth between. Um, but there are kind of these different things happening at once. So uh, Misato, Kaji, and Ritsuko are going to a wedding. You know, there's like various kind of slice of life conversations that happen around like, oh, buying a dress, like don't fit in the dress, blah, blah, blah. But like this stuff is getting contrasted with then Shinji is going to go visit the grave of his mother for like the anniversary of her death and go there with Gendo. So, you know, kind of just like dividing up a little bit here, the Shinji and Gendo part, um, while they're at the grave, they're talking a little bit. I honestly, it like feels like the most that Shinji and Gendo have ever talked in this series. I think, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I could be wrong, but it it definitely feels that way. Um, and we get some of like Gendo, I think like it starts with Shinji saying something like, it's like hard to like believe that she's her body's even here and gendo's just like she's not like there's no corpse here (laughs) and then also they talk about how gendo has no photos like no photos exist like nobody is can find photos of yui you know gendo's ex you know deceased wife and uh shinji's mom and there's a little bit of an exchange of like Shinji kind of being upset that gendo doesn't have anything and then gendo doing this thing of like well i keep everything in my heart like that's like the most important place to have it. And then Gendo like leaves, like goes to a helicopter with Ray in the helicopter um, and just like flies off and is just like, bye, you can walk home from this like giant graveyard because half of the world's population died. Uh- <laughs> Classic Gendo. Um, yeah. And, you know, some of this stuff is getting, it's not super intercut, but there's, you know, the stuff that's then happening with, especially, I I think the big scene with the wedding that happens is like Misato gets up to use the restroom and then Kaji and Ritsuko talk a little bit. This is where we really start getting a lot of Kaji's like men are from Mars, women are from Venus whole approach to life, which I know was just a, a bigger take on the relationship between the sexes that existed back when the show was made, but it's kind of a bullshit approach to the relationships between men and women. Although I'm sure it like factors into your Freudian readings here, Connor, um, and like <laughs> well, the inability of people to relate with each other. <laughs> well, I, I will, I will have comments on that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are some, there are some interesting, I, there are two lines that I wrote down, which are just like, so one is Kaji says, I was a brat too. And I was like, like, I think I even tweeted, I forget if it was on main or if it was on the, the ghost divers Twitter account, but just like, man, us brat for brats need better representation than Misato X Kanji <laughs> or uh, X Kaji because, um, yeah, this, like, it continues to be this thing of like, I see so much of myself and Misato and like, there, there are ways that I feel like if I wrote Misato and Kaji, like there's so much of like the substance of the relationship would be the same. And yet I would just like, I feel like I would handle it better <laughs> um, than, than Anno does because I actually like fully understand brat for brat relationships. Um, but anyway, you know, Misato gets too drunk to, to walk basically. And like, I think, throws up in an alleyway we get like a brief shot of their silhouettes and then kaji carries her home 
during it, they're talking a little bit about like Misato broke up with him, lied and said that she fell in love with someone else. But it was really like that Kaju reminded her so much of her father in a moment that is just like scarily relatable to me again, like of all the characters in the show and Misato just like less of a messy bitch or at least like better at understanding where it's coming from and dealing with it in a way that Misato doesn't. (laughs) Um, She just like spirals into self-hatred and what she needs in that moment is for someone to just kiss her to shut her up. So yeah, that like that hit me as a little too real. But again, this is like a big moment of if I was writing this, I feel like it would be handled better because the way that this is handled is like, Kaji like feels creepy <laughs> in that moment. Whereas like sometimes you really do just need someone to like kiss you to shut you up from going into a bad brain spiral. Um, but anyway, immediately after like we get Kaji kissing Misato, it then cuts to, you know, Asuka's come back from this like double date with that. She did just like with Hikari, you know, to like help her out essentially is, is what's implied or like at her behest. And left the the guy like waiting for a roller coaster and then is just sitting around bored and it's just like hey shinji we should kiss for fun you know like when you when it's just fun and you're just like bored and you just you just kiss people um and this turns into (laughs) an awkwardly long presumably first kiss for both of them definitely seems to be shinji's first kiss and I think we can read into this. It like feels like Asuka's first kiss too. She like comments on like your breath is tickling me and then like plugs up is like, you know, grabs his nose to plug it up for the incredibly long kiss where he's just like comedically turning like purple, not able to breathe. And then Asuka immediately goes to like brush her teeth and gargle or whatever, which like harsh. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, Misato and Kaji get back and there's there's a little bit around that and like Asuka being like oh Kaji's like the only real man around here and just like fully hitting on this Asuka being some sort of impersonator of Misato um and then yeah I guess I'll just like say what I have for this and then I'll I'll do the final part uh or final part two which is that like the parallel even comes in terms of like Asuka wants to use Misato's lavender uh, perfume and Misato's like no that's too adult for you and then she notices after Kaji brings Misato back that Kaji smells of that perfume and is like upset about that because it meant that like Kaji got close enough for like the scent to com- come off onto him and this whole like me wanting to be like that and not being able to and, you know, like the show, I think, is intentionally drawing a contrast between like the kiss that's happening between Kaji and Misato, which, again, some of the handling of it feels a little creepy, but also still feels like a more genuine romantic kiss compared to like this awkward kind of jokey kiss that like Asuka and Shinji are having, or at least like the kiss that Misato and Kaji have are like more sexualized than this one. And so there's just so much of this, like the parallels being drawn again and again with Asuka and Misato. And then we get Ray in a test tube and then we get Misato with a gun to Kaji's head as he's investigating nerve as like the spy and ends with Kaji, like doing the key card and revealing to Misato a crucified angel on, on a cross that stabbed with the Lance of Longinus that we saw. 
Um, and I forget. Yeah, and I I forget if they do they do they call it Adam yeah. here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, there's so many moments in Eva where it's just like. I would have to pause for a second before we can start discussing that or resume our conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, if if I may, I will like return to the comment about Kaji because I think I do have a few thoughts on that. So the first one is that Kaji, I think this was in like in like in a border of recording attempt where we weren't we had to like scrap and then redo where i just said like yeah my read on kaji is that he's just bad and but then later in the final episode like i went on to give like a a pretty harsh reading i think as well i i'm glad that we're going through this series again because as i go through it i am noticing that kaji is a slightly more complex character than just like my initial read on him which was that he was like a mini, a mini Gendo. And I, I don't think that's really the case. Although I do think that he is like bad and creepy and abusive in like several ways. Um, yeah. I mean, I, again, it's this thing of like, like, I just want to like a quick put out here of like, there are parts there, there is a way that so much of what Kaji does could be framed in a way where it is more clearly like, like, clearly, in this episode, we see that Masato still has a lot of affection for Kaji, and that's, like, a thing that comes up here. Like, I think this episode humanizes Kaji more than any other episode, really, as someone who, like, seems to be flirty as, like, a way of being fun with friends and is, like, specifically knowing that, like, Misato is kind of into it. But so much of the way that it's framed throughout the series, like, leans into really gross tropes that exist in anime, but also just a lot of media. Like, Western media does this shit, too, of, like, oh, if you just, like, hit on the girl enough, like, she will give in, or, like, that she's saying no, but really she means yes, and, like, all these things that, like, lean into, like, really bad consent stuff, versus, like my wife and I just mocking each other and like calling each other names because it's like an actual consensual fun thing that we do as like two brats. And that like, again, I forget if I've told this story on the podcast, but like, I think there was a time where Emily and I, like Emily in particular was feeling comfortable enough around you, Connor, that she was like being bratty to me and I was being bratty back in a way that I don't think we had previously with you. And you had this like, moment where i think you were like do i need to leave like are you fighting and we're like oh no like this is just like (laughs) this is fun for us like this is how we show affection to each other (laughs) which is a thing that like i i can read into misato and kaji and i think there's a way to portray this and this episode in particular gestures towards that would feel more genuine and would feel more like this is a way that people express affection to each other can be through this like kind of flirty bratty like i'm doing stuff to fluster you because the act of getting someone else flustered and being flustered can actually be like a mutually enjoyable thing that's happening um but just so much of it doesn't feel that way especially because i forget if it's like the next episode but we just get like kaji hitting on maya 
who's like the technician. I don't know if we've ever actually heard her name in the show so far, mm-hmm. um, but she's like the, you know, there's like the, the few people who are like in HQ with like Ritsko. I forget the name of the guy who was driving and like yelling. There's an angel when there's the power outage. Yeah. I forget um, but too. Maya's the, yeah. Maya's the, the um, female one who within parts of the fandom gets shipped quite often with Ritsko for, for like, I will just say the show, or I think it's specifically the movie suggests that like she's a lesbian and has a crush on Ritsko, which also having that like particular, like that the, the show is sort of setting that up. And that's like the dominant, at least in fan spaces that I like fans that I have is like, yeah, she's gay for Ritsko, um, makes the whole Kaji hitting on her, like feel even more like, Oh no, he's just like shitty. Like this is clearly not something that she's into. This is just like what he does with all women and Misato just responds to it differently. Um, and that, that, that makes me feel a lot worse about Kaji and like the things that I could see in Misato and Kaji that are interesting, like are so sullied by it because I think he has just like a bad creepy dude. (laughs) Yeah. And I think so with all of that said, like I, I want to approach Kaji from, or sorry, Kaji from a different direction uh i think all all of that is true and when i was saying earlier that like i'm revising my read on him as just like like entirely bad and just a mini gendo i don't the like bad stuff that he does is absolutely an integral part of his character but the way that i see kaji now is i think kaji like all of the characters in this world, but in a a unique like way, uh, in his own way, is a fractured individual who has, on one hand, the thing that surprised me about Kaji in this suite of episodes is that on one hand, he seems to have a better understanding of some of the stuff going on with like empathy and human relationships generally and takes that seriously in a way that many of the other characters in the show either like cannot articulate or uh, have no interest in while at the same time i mean as is the case in like many humans having behaviors that completely like disregard and transgress that like respect for like others and that empathy in in a very like complex mix. And and when I say um, his like understanding of human relationships, I am not referring to his like men are from Mars, women are from Venus, but specifically to his conversation later, which we'll get to with Shinji about, like empathy and otherness. So that's the, the first point. Um, the second point is that Kaji is, all of this is tied to Kaji's life as a spy and as a performer and as someone who has occupationally um, and like existentially, um, because his life more or less depends on it, like split selves where he has to act in one way and perform in one way um, while possibly 
like feeling a completely different way. And so much of his behavior at Zele and like the hitting on women, I think is part of this can be read as like it as a performance, like in and of itself in the way that like, I don't think is entirely false. Like Kaji still like, this is still Kaji like doing and saying these things. Um, but yeah. it is also tied to like, oh, like I'm giving off an impression of being like this frivolous, like lecherous guy who's just here to like hit on women and whatever. So I'm not like suspected of being a spy. And yeah. like, well, and it's one of those things too of like when you're saying that, like the vibe is very much that often the best way to lie is to lean into the truth in a way or to like to take some part of the truth and then inflate that in a way that you can cover up what you're trying to to cover up rather than like like i think kaji leaning into that makes sense as a part of like me being a spy i'm going to like do this to like lean into but what it is is specifically like let me lean into this aspect of myself that is a real aspect and like play it up in a way where i can then like disjoint it from like the spy part of me (laughs) right and it (laughs) is which of course like parallels with misato's we've talked about before this like disjoint between the personal like messy misato who and her occupational yeah and then like her like highly confident highly um capable professional one which we even get here of like misato like being a messy bitch just wanting kaji to kiss her so she'll like get out of her self-hate spiral and then have having like to the same character gun pulled finger on the trigger like ready to shoot someone in the head being like i know you're investigating what's going on yeah literally (laughs) immediately after like and and this feels so strongly like the show like really explicitly presenting this um yeah kaji commenting on aren't you still hung over (laughs) yeah in in a way that it like it happens immediately after like this other most extreme example of both of them at their like very raw you know emotional like messiness um or at least misato um but kaji like you know there's a whole conversation between them in, in like throughout this episode of them like reminiscing on their past relationship. So there's and especially like, like Kaji and Ritsuko, I think is also where we see the most of Kaji, like being really open. Like that's where the line comes in of we weren't really sharing a life. We were just playing, playing house. house. Yeah. Um, so there's and this, also like, the part of like, I was a brat too is also in that conversation. Yeah. Um, so there's this like extreme on one end, And then immediately, like, it happens so quick that it's jarring, like, this extreme where they're both, yes, Misato, like, in her most, like, clinical, uh, like, badass, you know, state, uh, but also Kaji with, like, finally taking the mask off and just being like, yeah, like, I've infiltrated your organization and I'm, like, completely unsentimental about it in this moment, where... It is it is revealing it through this like mirroring um, and through this like juxtaposition between this these types of scenes with uh, Kaji and, and Misato. So yeah, I think Kaji is 
to, to, to wrap that up, like, like Misato and like these other characters, Kaji is someone who is like divided and complex and he still does these actions. It, in a way, it makes his character like more difficult and compelling that someone who has seems to have some of these understandings and respect for certain, you know, ethical ways of like relating to others, um, does then turn around and do these really gross actions but it's i I really think it's a compelling like characterization and uh the other comment i'll make on this front because it's related as far as like the divided subject stuff and the psychoanalytic uh theory i i know we've talked about like anna was influenced by freud and there's definitely you can go at it from just like a straight up freudian standpoint but I actually, the lens that I'm going to bring to it is specifically using like Kristova, who is a thinker that revises and overturns, uh, but is heavily engaged with Freud, but revises and overturns and expands on like a lot of points. And I, I think the stuff that Kristova is doing is actually more interesting in an additive way, like that addresses some of the stuff that's happening in Ava in a way that is more, again, it's just more compelling. So I don't, you know, I don't want you to be expecting a Freudian reading because <laughs> that's not, uh, that's not where I'm going with it. And I hope you'll be relieved to, to hear that. I mean, it's still going to be somewhat psychoanalytic, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, heavily so. But I think yeah. the show, like the show is extremely <laughs> invested in that. Uh, yeah in in a way that we i think if we don't go down that road it we're somewhat doing like the show an injustice in terms of what it's actually trying to do i'm just joking about you doing the freudian reading because like even though there are elements of psychoanalysis like that have come since i appreciate i hate freud so much and yet still i briefly considered rereading some freud for this and i was just like no i can't i fucking hate freud <laughs> the fact that um, you even considered that because you knew or you thought i was going to talk about freud is like <laughs> immensely flattering so thank you um i think we can we can move on to the next episode although i'm going to make one quick point which i just want to highlight a, a thing that ritsuko says um, we haven't been focusing quite as much on her because I think even within the series, she's not as significant of a character, um, but I do still sometimes find her interesting. And the the line in particular that I want to draw out is, I forget exactly what Kaji's saying to her, but it's kind of like, oh, but like we're like talking about me and Misato and everything. Um, and Ritsuko just says, basically, like, I make a point of not talking about myself because it's no fun. Um, and it is a a somewhat casual line that like when this happened, I joked of like, this is evidence. This is further evidence that I am Misato and Emily is Ritsuko because like, I'm not going to talk about myself because it's no fun. It's such a like Emily approach to talking to people. <laughs> um, but I think also reveals like a deeper level of, we continue to see Ritsuko be like incredibly guarded and closed off with people mm-hmm. um, in a way that like goes above and beyond how guarded and closed off. I think a lot of characters in this show are. So we move on to episode 16. Here we get some slice of life. Uh, they're doing synchro tests 
Uh, Shinji is praised for being number one, so having the highest synchronization rate, which obviously frustrates Asuka deeply. And uh, then another angel attacks. Uh, this this angel is an interesting one, where it's basically a Duroc C, uh, which is a theoretical model of vacuums as yeah, more or less been like uh, outdated by quantum field theory at this point. Um, yeah. But the the big thing here is that there's a gigantic floating orb that has an ominous shadow underneath it. And it turns out that the orb is the, the seemingly corporeal orb is the shadow um, actually. And then this giant negative space, what is revealed to be negative space it is the angel itself. This like very clearly influenced the portrayal of shadows in Persona Three and Persona Four. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> Throw that out there. Persona reference. Yeah. Shinji. There's some conversation between Asuka and Shinji where they're ribbing each other, and Shinji decides to charge in valiantly, saying that combat is a man's job, uh, and promptly gets swallowed up by the angel and wrecked. So at that point, we intercut between Shinji trapped in the Eva inside the angel talking about how it smells like blood. Um, there's some discussion of the uh, Ava, the quote-unquote purification system of the Ava, eventually deteriorating and giving out. So then, you know, the matter outside of the Ava, which is the angel, will get inside, and that's that's very scary, no good. It smells like blood for some reason. Uh, we get some scenes of the back at nerve where they're formulating a plan to free unit one. Um, and the best idea they can come up with is to drop all 992 remaining N2 mines <laughs> into the angel and detonating them in unison uh, as Ava unit zero and Ava unit two neutralize the AT field. Um, the thinking here is that the immense explosive force uh, will somehow like eject Shinji <laughs> from the Duroxy. Yeah. I mean, it's um, also, like, heavily implied that they're basically, like, hey, as long as we, like, get some, like, there's something that we're hoping to recover from Unit 1, and that's all we really care about, and we don't even care if, like, the body of Unit 1 is lost. Yeah. And we don't care if Shinji is lost. Like, we need to recover this from the Angel. Yeah. And this one, there's, like, maybe a chance Shinji will survive. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Very um, low. It is notable that Misato slaps Ritsuko for that exact point. Um, this is Ritsuko's plan, and Misato is takes issue with the fact that they're pretty uh, they're pretty unsentimental about blowing Shinji to smithereens. Yeah, um, and then Misato or uh, Ritsuko just seizes control, like command of the the operation from Misato. Yeah, yeah, because Misato is too emotional. Yeah. Um, Bato. <laughs> Um, inside the Eva, meanwhile, uh, Shinji has uh, an abstract conversation. Psychoanalytic. <laughs> yeah, has has an abstract uh, dialogue between various versions of himself, which we will probably go into. There's some dispute about whether he's really potentially conversing with the angel or if he's really conversing with his own selves, uh, different selves, or if that is even a distinction at this point but uh yeah running through the the various uh different selves delineating 
the different components of, of you know a subject, blah, 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 among which are uh, the versions of you that exist in the minds of the others who know you, your observing self who observes the world around you, essentially like gestures towards like ego and superego, so on and so forth. As they're about to, so this dialogue progresses, um, and as they're about to drop the N2 bombs, Shinji, having been in this for, for hours, um, seemingly gives up and dies to be subsumed into the angel. Uh, but then a ghostly apparition of a mother appears to hold him. And then we see Unit 1 tearing its way out of the angel. Um, interestingly, it is now tearing its way out of the orb, which was the incorporeal shadow, supposedly, um, which has now become corporeal somehow. Unit 1 rips out of the angel like a, uh, you put in the notes, like a terrifying monster hatching from a fresh egg, or like... I meant to do flesh egg, and I just typoed, but... Oh, flesh It's, it's flesh like very egg. bloody and, and fleshy. Yeah, and in a moment that is like strongly evocative of, of birth, yeah. um, but a very violent a very violent take on it. And uh, the Ava is, is very much in a berserk state, ripping its way out and destroying the angel in the process. Um, later on, Shinji uh, smells his own arm. There's a little bit more in this scene, but he's kind of, I believe he's in the hospital and he's having people like visit him. And he uh, is going to like raising his hand to suppress a laugh or something. Um, and he smells his own arm and, and realizes that it still smells like blood. I will say as, so I, I was there for the birth of my child and throughout the entirety of the process I had stuck in my head, Ezra Furman's cover of the song, The Mall, which is a song that has like, so the verses are descriptions of dates, basically of like, I went to the mall with you, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then the chorus is just, I am broken, wide open, bleeding everywhere, just repeated. And it was kind of stuck in my head because even as a like beautiful moment of my child coming into like life and the world, nor- normal births are, are kind of scary, bloody things. Mm. <laughs> and I like, I specifically had that song stuck in my head, I think because of like the way that it juxtaposes like more traditional images of like, oh, this is like. Uh, dating and like falling in love with someone and then just like the the raw emotionality of it but that it's it's specifically evoking this like very violent bloody process and yeah so so like this does really evoke birth and i i think is probably closer to like the actual real process of birth than a, a lot of people would like like there was blood involved yeah <laughs> um the a smell of, of blood like was in the air. Yeah. yeah so yeah the as someone who has like literally been there for the birth of a human being, it does really, really strongly evoke birth and like what's happening in this episode is so clearly like touching on these ideas of death and rebirth. 
mm-hmm. um, which I think will also come up later. I actually put these in the notes for episode 20 because I think we also kind of get this like death and rebirth thing happening there, but I'm just going to bring it up now. We love to front load our episodes. Um, I was recently in terms of recording on an episode of hot singles and uh, we talked about apocalypse girl by Yenny Hall. And I say some truly wild gay shit while we're talking about that album. But one thing I just thought of, as I was doing these notes and then also thinking about that album to talk about it on a, on a podcast was the final song, which basically has this thing of like, it reminded me my body of being newborn. I understand why people want to be reborn. I understand why people speak in tongues. I understand why people want to feel newborn. I understand that it's the same as feeling unborn. I understand that we all want to feel unborn. (laughs) And that is a very psychoanalytic album. So mm-hmm. like it's just bouncing around in my head right now of like, yeah, there, there's definitely this like being unborn, being reborn, it being kind of the same death being similar to birth um, that I think it is happening multiple times in these episodes in a way where like, I have a note written here of, Throughout these episodes, and this is really the, I think, the first big one, but we are also going to see it happen with the other angel confrontations that we're discussing right now. Uh, We see, like, repeatedly literalized Shinji being stuck within the Ava, being trapped in, like, this war monster, and then the way that it is drawing these lines to the Ava as a womb this idea of it also being like a grave or a tomb of it being like the place where the enclosed space where you die. And also the enclosed space that you are like life is given to you and you're like burst forth in this way that is like becoming far more explicit here, I think than it, than it has been previously. Um, and I think is like, we talked when we were talking about 08th MS team about how towards the end, it touches on the cockpit of a mech as like a casket, Um, Mm -hmm. and I think these episodes in particular are really playing with that in this way. That's then like further going into the psychoanalytic, like death drive womb, blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to, I'm going to like, let you respond first (laughs) before I talk anymore, but yeah, I think this is the moment where I'm just going to go ahead and like take my shot at like, or take like my first steps toward bringing Christopher into this. I will preface this statement by saying, like, I am by no means an expert on Christova, and she's a very difficult theorist. So there's a lot of there is a, a lot of ambiguity in some of the concepts that, and specifically even in the ones that I'm about to bring up. Um, but this whole um, all of this stuff happening with Ava, I mean, throughout the series, but especially now that we're on this like roller coaster ride to the end of it, is just so deeply engaged with what Christopher with Christopher's ideas about abjection. And so I I will try to like sketch out uh, a workable like I'll try to do this justice. Um 
to the extent that I think it can really inform like an understanding of Ava. Um, okay, so Kristova, like I touched on this a little bit in our last episode, but I, I don't think I really did a good job. So this is a chance for me to re- revise and like clarify some things. So Kristova is like, first of all, positing like a divided subject. And for Kristova, like division is division and, and the attendant violence of division is essentially like a prerequisite for subjecthood. That like violence is not only like a primary splitting away, but also like an ongoing split like within a, a subject themselves. And I'll like explain what I mean. Christopher talks about like in order to become a subject, the first thing that needs to happen is you need to split like from she uses the the term mother, but like you need to split from the womb. Um, because there is a point in time in which, like, a person is not, is, like, part of the, of the mother's, and I'll just use the, the term mother, like, as a placeholder, is part of, like, the mother's body. Um, and in order for, like, someone to go from being, like, a fetus or an embryo to then, like, becoming a, like, a separate subject, uh, there needs to be, like, a birth. Which she like conceives of as like a violent splitting. So in that sense, like subjecthood in and of itself is constituted in like division. But then beyond that, like as a subject who is coming to consciousness in the world, you then have a division, a secondary division, which occurs when you encounter like the quote unquote symbolic order which is basically like the collective repository of all of the signs that like humans use collectively to communicate with each other and to signify to one another. So like language, for example, Um, you have to like receive language from outside of you and internalize it uh, to some extent as part of you and not just language, but like every system that exists in the world um, every significatory system. Uh, that in and of itself, she envisions as a division where there is, you now have, um, your, uh, organic, just like impulses, desires, whatever that are arising from your like embodied self, which you then have to, but you at the same time have to reckon with um, this symbolic order that exists outside of you and that you uh, have to like internalize in order to communicate with the outside world. And, and also to like uh, further constitute yourself through actually like intersubjective recognition, i.e. like conversing with other people. So basically like we're talking about uh, a subject that is like divided from others and within itself. And for that reason, like, is somewhat permeable and fractured. Uh, Where objection comes into it is the abject is something that is like, it's, it's something that disturbs the boundaries of identity 
or any type of like boundary border or limit. So uh, something, for example, that like is expelled. Um, so she gives the off. She gives like examples of bodily fluids, um, like sweat or milk or like specifically like I well whatever milk uh, or blood. Um, you you can just that, say like, semen, Connor. <laughs> well, yeah, semen as well. Things that like when they leave your body become like matter, but like uh, object, um, but were once part of you. But if you are like a subject and that way of like conceiving of yourself requires uh, a sense of like wholeness, something that was like just a second ago, like part of you and is now matter in a way like uh, it, it makes explicit and marks like the precarity of that boundary between like subject and object that like your identity uh, hinges on to some extent. So to get back to wombs, Christopher talks about like the womb as this like primary site of abjection where it is like the thing that needs to be separated off um, or that you need to separate yourself from uh, in order to like become a subject. Um, and that this division is violent but necessary. And abjection is not something that is like necessarily bad um in fact it's like a necessary experience and a necessary psychic structure that is like ongoing but it is something that like occasions tends to occasion feelings on christopher's reading of like disgust or horror or terror um precisely because it like threatens um it threatens the about like the boundaries of your ego um the boundaries of your subjecthood so where am I going with all of this? Um, well, uh, all of this stuff having to do with the Ava and like the constant equations of like the interior of the Ava with the womb is heavily like imbricated with all of this stuff. It it is constantly at question in these episodes and then later on the borders of the self uh, of the Ava pilots like within the Ava are constantly under threat of dissolution. Um, in fact, they are like that, that threat is realized here. Uh, and, and specifically even, um, later on where Shinji just becomes like fluid. <laughs> um, and, uh, going back to, I think episode one or episode two, the first time Ava one goes berserk, it's, it's even present there where this berserk state, I think this is like revealed explicitly later on, this berserk state that we see Ava Unit 1 going into is the state wherein like Shinji and the Ava have like become one entity. Shinji's like, I, th I think they re refer to it later on as like the ego border being completely dissolved. Um, yeah. Shinji has like synchronized with the Ava to such an extent that like Shinji and the Ava are like fusing together. And in like Kristova as well as in Evangelion, the like abjection associated with this is occasion for like horror. Um, I think that's where a lot of like 
A, the body horror stuff with the mechs, and B, like, the horror of, like, the pilots being absorbed or somehow, like, corrupted or dissolved. Um, all of the body horror stuff with the pilots um, is all anchored in this, like, abjection stuff. So, yeah, I think, like, that is a good first approach to just, like, throwing it out there. But, uh, yeah, I think a lot of, like, this horror has to do with abjection. And I think it also provides the key to understanding what's going on with, like, the berserk state in, like, specifically Ava Unit 1 when we see it here and, like, elsewhere. Yeah, I, th- I think something I also want to, like, highlight here in relation to this is so that there's, like, a popular reading in trans spaces of Shinji as a trans character. And it's one that like, in some ways, like my, my own personal reading of Shinji, I think leans that way. And yet sometimes the way that that reading is constructed in a lot of trans spaces, I actually like disagree with what they are pulling out. And it it really comes down to this, like me just really not giving a fuck about like representation as a concept that like how it often ends up being portrayed in media which is you know like the extreme example of is like oh there's a girl with like an asymmetrical haircut in a marvel movie and people are like yes by representation and i'm like no like this isn't like this isn't like meaningful in any way to me as a queer person um and i think there's this version of that that is like is specifically leaning into a way that like capitalism and like large mainstream media stuff can just like put the right character in and do the right things and then get the credit for like, Oh, they're doing it right. Um, that I think is actually far less interesting than what I'm interested in, which is this thing I have to return to of, of resonance. And I think for me, so like, I may have referred to this before in previous episodes. Um, I have this thread that I did once of like explain your OTPs badly and or like your ships badly, basically. Um, and one of the first ones I did was for Evangelion and it was Shinji and Ray. And um, I described it as cool blue haired trans girl has to walk another one through egg mode, which egg mode is also a thing that like the way that it sometimes gets applied in trans Twitter is like in this creepy like. I think egg mode only has use for me in terms of a way for trans people to conceptualize and talk about their own past selves. And I think it has gotten corrupted to a point where if I wrote that tweet now, I probably wouldn't even use egg mode because often it gets applied to like, oh, I'm out here cracking eggs or like, oh, I, you know, oh, I knew you were an egg, blah, 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 in this way that's like deeply infantilizing, I think, to younger trans, like people who are very recently coming out as trans um egg mode is this like concept of before you figure out you're trans before you like your egg hatches before Mm -hmm. that like cracks and you figure out and then you start like going through this process of figuring thing like going through figuring everything out um some of this comes down to like my final read on ray does have touches of like like does have a certain trans resonance to me in a lot of ways that I want to get into more next episode because I think I'll be able to talk about it more directly once we like find out everything about Ray. But 
also with the, with Shinji, there's a lot of the like we get the stuff of like, oh, you're a man, aren't you? That is clearly feeding into some sort of queer reading of Shinji. That again will be more interesting to talk about next time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want I want to bring this up right now because I I think for me where so much of the queer reading and also the trans reading comes up in Evangelion is actually specifically around the way that it does the stuff about abjection because. I think the process of coming to terms with being queer often is a process of you as an actual individual, like confronting object, uh, abjection within yourself or like the ways that you are experiencing it, that a lot, uh, a lot of people, I think the process of like coming out as trans involves having to look at both yourself and your body in ways that begin to break down like the this typical ideas you have of what your borders are and like what the limits of the body are like going through changing hormones and going through that process i think puberty is a thing that for a lot of people is like imbued with objection and like Mm -hmm. transition is just like even more intense puberty in some ways because in some cases people have already gone through a form of puberty and now you're like like within trans communities people refer to it as second puberty um and like this other process that you go through of your body changing and also changing in ways that are now towards something that is more immediately recognized and verbalized as monstrous by like the society around you. Um, A lot of trans people have connections with body horror because of these reasons, you know, my interest in blood as a thing (laughs) definitely increased after I like came out as trans because the fascination I then have with like these different, a thing that I said, you haven't heard this episode yet, Connor, because you're not subscribed to the Patreon. Um, (laughs) 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 At least not yet. This is going to be a great selling point for subscribing to the Patreon. Listeners subscribe to the Patreon. You can listen to hot singles episodes early. Um, But at this point, you know, people can go listen to hot singles. A thing I, I, I talk about on there is being fucked as a girl and the, the like experience to me that like, I feel most fully embodied as like, and like unthinkingly as a girl when I'm being fucked as a girl. And when I come in the liquid that wells to my body and like into my lover's body is not semen, but is blood from my lips. Um, and that's like, Objection is all over that, yeah. <laughs> right? That yeah. statement that I made. And I, I think that's so much of what I'm actually connecting with in Evangelion. And that's often not what I hear being brought up in terms of the the like trans reading of Shinji. A lot of it is this more service level, like what is representation in this like current mainstream sense of what does queer representation mean? Um, that also includes like, I believe the voice actor for the, the new dub on Netflix. Um, I think it is. There at some point there was a vo- like English voice actor I believe for Shinchi who was non-binary, and that's all like used and that's a good thing. Like I want trans people to be employed. That's a a slightly better like that's a form of representation I'm more interested in than mm-hmm. do you have a straight person playing a lesbian on a CW show or whatever. Like actual queer people being involved in the telling of their own stories is important, but I also think that it's important because queer people t- telling their own stories are going to actually more deeply tap into what are the interesting resonances and like, what are the, what are the actual interesting uh, experiential things about being queer that 
this sense of representation that you often get with like Disney or whatever is not actually doing and is not interested in. It's like interested in in checking boxes in this way that yeah. for me feels like very boring and liberal. Superficial. Um yeah, and superficial. Whereas like for me Evangelion is a far more interesting series about being trans than like like I I appreciate when I watch Supergirl with my wife that the person playing the trans character in it is also a trans woman and they're dealing with some like actual trans things with her and yet it is still far less interesting to me experientially of like what it means to me to be trans than watching Evangelion a thing that like never is explicitly trans or necessarily even involves trans people although I don't again I don't know if Anno I I think I just came to a better conclusion about my identity than Anno did I'll just say that (laughs) yeah (laughs) I think just as like a way of responding to some of that like this is where I'm just going to, I think I've said this before, like, I I really do, even watching this again for a second time, I feel even more strongly that this series is a, a masterpiece. Um, and I know that there's, like, legions of, like, fan people, obnoxious fan people out there who, who say that. And I know that there are people who want to, like, have a more critical reading of this show and are put and like have to deal with those fan people saying that. And that's all just like a toxic, obnoxious, like bullshit. Um, but I think that what this show really is and what it's doing when you engage with it, like truly critically, it, it is dealing with all of this stuff in a way that is like incredibly rich. Um, and has a, a lot of depth that allows for like exactly the kind of stuff that that you're talking about. And yeah, I, I think it also just like this is in again, this is just my opinion, obviously, but um I think it does like do justice to its characters. In, in most cases, or it it creates nuanced, interesting like characterizations that have more depth to them than like necessarily meets the eye. Um, and I'm going to talk about Asuka here in a second, but like I am thinking about Asuka and like the debate ar- around her. We talked about Ray already, Kaji. Like, it's easy to take these characters and then just be like, oh yeah, like you know here's like here's the surface reading um but the show gives you it it does give you so much more than than that um if you if you look for it and like want it yeah so i will add like a couple comments um first like before we move on in the interest of time (laughs) yeah sorry um this is just like totally me on my bullshit right now um i'm here so (laughs) thank you um so a couple more comments like on objection um again like on christopher's view the abject is like something that is continual and necessary it is not something that is like bad um but it is also something that exists like 
in a balance. Like Kristova is concerned, has concern for what happens when abjection is like cannot be managed and the crises that can occur when like a subject is no longer able to like maintain those boundaries that constitute it as as a subject and here and this is like i'm i'm prefiguring some of the stuff that i'm going to get into later um there's a moment here where this idea of like specifically to shinji a proposition of other characters saying to shinji like oh like let's become one becoming one is a very comforting feeling um even the outro song does this uh it like changes to this weird spoken word thing where it's going on about if you become one in mind and body it's a very comforting feeling again like for Kristova, you can't return to the womb like returning to the womb is like the dissolution of the self it is like it not because it's the womb but because it's the dissolution of self like it is death and in like that that but that is a temptation like the comfort of removing all of the like pain and like angst of being divided and of having to like experience like this constant permeability and like of having to to exist like as a subject and try to negotiate these divides with others there is like on one hand a a temptation to just like dissolve oneself um and i think that when it is introduced here and and later on as well like on my read at least like this comfort is like an illusion um it, it is something that is like illusory and like a a false temptation um the other comment that i'll make because i think it's like an interesting observation here um the stuff with like the sync rate we talked last time about asuka like being portrayed as like incapable compared to shinji or whatever i think when i was watching this episode i was like noting amusingly that like shinji make does the exact like same move that asuka did previously where he's just like charges out on his own and then just like gets wrecked immediately. Uh, and the other thing is in light of all of the comments that I've made, like the sync rate of the Avas and by extension, like how well they fight um, in, in the episodes we're dealing with here, it's made even more clear later on. Um, but I'll just say it now. Like, I think the sync rate and the performance of like an Ava pilot has nothing to do with any sense of like internal ability or pr- piloting prowess. Um, but it has everything to do with the pilot's like psychology and specifically like the extent to which they are like have a permeable like ego or like how 
stronger weak their ego is to allow them to like dissolve into like the Ava. Um, and Asuka is, has a very, very strong ego. Um, she is like, seems to be very, um, at least in my, my read of her, she tends to like exhibit all of the like symptoms of a very strong ego of like denying vulnerability, like being very, uh, interested in like, her own prowess in having like a, a wholeness about her. Whereas Shinji has this like passivity and lack of confidence that, that makes him somehow like uh, his, his weaker ego, like somehow allows him to have a greater sync rate. And in this episode, like Misato tries to build up his confidence. It, there's a whole part at the beginning where it's like, we're building up Shinji's confidence. Um, and then he gets cocky like Asuka uh, and it, it like totally backfires. So I just wanted to like put that out there because it, I think it clarified like the point I was trying to make last time um, about like this, this I think is more of a reflection of like the show bringing something out about like, this is how Ava's work. And it is about like the psychology of the pilot and not about like, Shinji being like good or better, if that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, so I've like spent plenty of time on this episode. <laughs> um, we can so, move on. So if you we want. move on. Do seventeen and so I'm in, I'm doing seventeen and eighteen together because um, yeah, like I I feel like stuff that happens in seventeen we just like should just talk about in the context of eighteen. Um, mm-hmm. This is another one where like two feel really hand in hand. Um, so 17 starts with, so there's a facility in Nevada that's been working on Ava unit four and it vanishes after a test using the new S2 engine, which I think may have been mentioned before this. It like, it comes up again in these episodes. Meanwhile, nerve is working on a Ray dummy plug, which, uh, we, we will see an action later on. And they interestingly note that it is only meant to like basically fool the Ava into thinking there is a pilot and that there's actually no way to replicate the soul of a pilot. So like, it, you know, isn't necessarily as good as having a, a pilot, but seems to be like this backup system. Um, and then we, we basically get a bunch of stuff around, like there is a new... Ava Unit 3 is being shipped from, I think it was Germany where it was being worked on and is coming to Japan. Uh, Some of it is this, like, of course, they're trying to unload it on us with what just happened with the S2 engine. Like, people are nervous. Um, But also there's, like, you know, there's going to be a new pilot. And basically we get a bunch of scenes around it being incredibly obvious that the new pilot is going to be Toji, um, including, like, setting up Toji, like Hikari having this crush on Toji and, you know, these cute scenes about like, oh, I noticed that you always like buy lunch. Do you want me to make you a bento box? I always make like too much when I'm cooking for my sisters, blah, blah, blah. Um, We get uh, also Toji and Shinji going together to Ray's room 
to deliver like some class materials because Ray hasn't been coming to class lately. Um, it does have a little scene of Shinji cleaning up the like room to to raise embarrassment. Um, although we also get this bit about like I never say thank you to anyone, even Gendo, for saving her. So we get a little bit more Ray interiority here. We also get some of Kaji talking to Shinji some more about. I mean, some of it is like actual here's how to relate to people advice, but mm. I do still feel like a lot of the advice he gives to, to Shinji continues to be like somewhat colored by this, like men and women just can't relate. <laughs> um, yeah. That is like, yeah, there, there are more interesting ways to talk about the difficulty of human beings to relate that it doesn't come down to like, there is some sort of gender essence that makes it impossible for men and women to like understand each other um then uh that's like most of episode 17 it's just you know it ends with this like somewhat ominous uh slowed down like here's toji throwing a basketball towards a hoop um and the the next episode starts with Ava Unit 3 being delivered. Um, it passes through a lightning storm, which I've often seen as, like, this is when... So, it's, the yeah. yeah, it gets, like, infected with an angel. And, yeah, so... Basically, like, everyone in the world knows that Kaji is the new pilot, except for Shinji. Even Kensuke, like, idiot Kensuke, um, <laughs> is, like... Hey, do you think it could be Toji? Like, he hasn't been at school recently, and he seems kind of, like, not in a great mindset. And she's <laughs> like, no, that it could be Toji. No way. Um, yeah. Um, so anyway, during the initialization, it turns out that Ava Unit 3 has been infected by an angel. Mm-hmm. Um, part of what I find kind of interesting rewatching this is just the way that there are some things here that do clearly feel like this Ava is, like, possessed like it has like the weird like gooey whatever like it kind of like opens up and there's like weird you know i don't even know exactly how to describe it but um it definitely like seems not good and healthy seeping fluid yeah (laughs) yeah um and also like its arms extend in a weird way during the fight uh but like i don't think we ever see like an angel core in unit three like normally angels are being defeated by like smashing the core Mm -hmm. um but i'm kind of getting ahead of myself like you know the the site explodes during activation um isato and ritsuko are it turns out just injured but presumed dead for most of this episode and rei asuka and shinji all go out in evangelion's um, and they all hesitate, Ray first, then Asuka, and then Shinji. Nobody wants to fight. Specifically, every, you know, Ray and Asuka know that it's Toji. Um, Shinji's just like, it's some other child my age. And, you know, Asuka's even like, what? You don't know? It's, and then gets cut off because she gets defeated at just the, the right moment. And uh, still, Shinji refuses Gendo's orders to fight. And so they activate the backup dummy plug system. So Shinji loses control of the Ava, like can't control it anymore. And instead this Ray dummy plug activates unit one, like goes into attack mode and is just tearing this angel apart or Ava apart. And, uh, you know, 
very like animalistic ripping a, a body apart uh like you know starts with like unit one is being strangled and then like gets its arms around and like snaps the neck of um yeah. of unit three and then you know there's like really just like ripping the body apart and this is the part that i was gonna say which is that like it kind of feels like normally the moment of like tension where it's like oh it's clear the angel is defeated throughout the show has been like they destroy that weird orb core thing whereas here it's like literally the final thing is the ava smashing the the entry plug mm-hmm. um which is this like later on we are going to see that unit 1 has a core like an angel does so there's the there's a certain amount where i think they are intentionally like I the the canon answer is that this is an angel, and yet I think they play up the way that like this could also feel like Nerve just choosing to classify an Evangelion as an angel so that people will take it out because it's like gone rogue in some way. Mm-hmm. Um and that that's an a, a tension that I think the series is intentionally playing with, even though there's still the canon answer of when the Ava passes through a lightning storm, it gets possessed by some angel that we never like truly see the the body of or like the form of outside of it just being this like kind of monstrous ava unit and uh bardiel is the name here i think we i i forgot to mention uh leliel is was the shadow orb thing um so yeah and then basically in the final moments shinji like you know misato injured from the explosion is trying to say like Shinji, I'm so sorry. I should have told you. And I just like, didn't know how the pilot is. And then Shinji sees that it's Toji being like pulled out of the entry plug and screams. And we cut the fly me to the moon again. (laughs) Um, Not the first time we've had this, this like juxtaposition. (laughs) So um, yeah, this, these are like two intense episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I'm going to like say right up front here that and i'll let you talk um in the manga if you if you're reading along toji just dies and supposedly i i don't remember where i read this so this could just be like take this with a grain of salt it could not actually be an official source and i'm i'm just quoting some like bullshit fan theory but supposedly and i think it makes sense toji was supposed to die in the anime and just like they wouldn't let them kill a a child on tv but it does happen in the manga and i I, again it kind of makes sense because like we get a little bit of toji next episode but he he's kind of like he doesn't show up anymore as a a character really like i guess spoilers for the last six episodes And, and a lot of the way that it's written too is like we get here like I think at the beginning of the next episode, Shinji screaming like "You made me kill him" or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then it's like revealed that he's not dead in this way that I, I think actually kind of feels disingenuous to like a lot of the actual core emotions and intentions that have been happening. But yeah, I'll, I'll kick it over to you with that like that note because I don't know if you've gotten to the part in the manga where Toji for sure just dies. No, not yet. But it does make. I mean, it does make more sense, and it is. I I definitely do not agree with the censorship. Like, if that's, you know, 
what they were going to do in the anime. Like, it's sad that they took it out. But there's an aspect of it where it's just, like, that whole sequence of Unit 3 being, like, torn apart. If If Toji was actually dead, like, this would probably be like one of the darkest <laughs> sequences I've ever seen in anything ever. Um, and well, Ava's like, has like at least two in the like top 10 of that list. Yeah. Already. Look forward to when you read the manga. <laughs> yeah. So I get why they took it out. I guess like, I'm glad I just talked about objection because this episode is just like, like, completely <laughs> like proving my point if i was like writing yeah. an essay about this i would just like try to describe bardiella as like seeping fluid <laughs> yeah if i was like trying to write like an essay or article about this i would literally just be like everything i just said and then go watch like 17 18 um <laughs> because yeah like i'm just gonna run through this um the angel is this like weird fluid that's reminiscent of bodily fluid it is a corrupting influence uh, so we see it like having this, I mean, it's, it's clear, it's, you know, framed as a corrupting invasive material. Um, the other thing that's like really disturbing about this, um, it, it was viscerally disturbing for me when I first watched the series. Um, and now I'm just like naming it because I have like a, a conceptual framework. The, like, the thing that really gets me about this is that this um at least so we think uh as the episode is playing out the prospect of this fluid reducing everything it touches to just like a single type of matter um including the ava and then also including the pilot um is very disturbing um the idea of like oh there's this like corruption uh, and then, like, you almost immediately think about, like, what the fuck is happening inside the entry plug while yeah. this, like, corrosive, like, you know, corruption is, like, has taken over this, this Ava. Yeah, um, like, I didn't specifically touch on it, but when, I think it's Unit Zero, when Bardiel, like, jumps on it. Uh, is like specifically leaking the fluid onto the arm and then like the arm is corrupted and uh, Ray is like screaming inside of the cockpit as well with like weird stuff seemingly happening to her arm and then they like without being able to even sever the the contact or like sever the the connection in a way they just like are like no we like literally have to like jettison this arm from the body in this way that's like Ray is going to also feel um, just to like stop this from corrupting the Evangelion further. So yeah, and also like on that point, um, not only the prospect of like you know the human body being matter, just like corruptible matter, just like metal and like everything else that is like the the horror of that being presented. Um, but this episode also plays with like a lot of the stuff you touched on your synopsis. We're getting even deeper into like the the connection between the pilots and the Avas. It is like heavily, heavily evoked here, escalated even. Um, their bodily connection and like their their bodily and their psychic connection um, 
the like closeness of it and the the like permeability of that border being something that is like scary and threatening and i'm specifically thinking of like the scene that you mentioned with ray then when unit three is strangling unit one and shinji's not like like refusing to fight back you can really clearly see like shinji's neck is like being throttled inside the cockpit as the like as the ava is being choked and then on the heels of all of that, which is like making you feel and think about this connection, then we see like what happens to Unit Three, and I think that's why it it hits so hard is just because like whether you're consciously thinking about it or not, you're just like this is literally like Toji's body that is being like I'm not gonna do like a blow by blow. <laughs> um, of what happens, but I mean, it, it hits hard for me because I'm just literally like, yeah, this is like, I'm thinking of like Toji experiencing all of this as it's happening. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's, it's pretty heavy <laughs> um, to go to something that is like slightly more, light <laughs> um this conversation between kaji and shinji it, i want to highlight it because i think it is really important kaji like i don't i don't remember i think he might like at the end yeah he has like the one thing at the end where he's just like brings it back into like a gendered framework or whatever but most of the content of this conversation like I think is is apt for like what Ava is doing. Um, the idea that like a suffering is necess- like being human involves suffering, like to some extent, unavoidably, like full stop. And then like that b suffering is necessary like to relate empathetically to others, which is something that we have to do um, as humans. And that like being other from like other people and experiencing the suffering that goes along with that, but also like having, because of that, being able to have empathy and like try to care for each other and relate to each other and so on and so forth. Um, is something that is really important. And I will call out uh, Gendo's earlier conversation with Fuyutsuki, where he kind of lays out his vision of humanity, where he talks about how he wants a paradise with no suffering. Um, different goals here. Uh, yeah. And this will become significant later on when Gendo's uh, master plan and his motivations uh, come out more fully. And then on the heels of this, we have this great scene with Toji and Hikari, which is really very bittersweet. And I think brings out like, again, a lot of what Ava is doing. So of course there is like division. Um, Hikari likes Toji, but she can't say it because like, you know, they're in middle school or whatever. And 
you know, all the shit around like desire and vulnerability and that those barriers to like expressing yourself. Um, she's also like had this kind of rejection earlier in the episode um, where she like wanted to walk with him. She wasn't able to say so, but she wanted to. And then he like chose Shinji. So here, you know, and then on the flip side, like Toji has just like been informed that he's going to pilot this war machine. So he's dealing with that. Um, he can't speak about that because like, you know, he's in middle school <laughs> and he's been told he's going to pilot a war machine. So he can't, you know, he's not in the headspace to like, he hasn't processed that and he can't, he just can't speak about it right now. Um, understandably. Um, so we have this division and like, we see this wide shot of them in the classroom where like the physical distance between them is classic Ano, like, you know, a physical analog of, of this division that they have from one another. But, uh, in spite of all of that, Hikari has a sense that like Toji, that something's going on with Toji. She has her own feelings of like desire and empathy and like courage for her, like, you know, desire to like connect with him. So she like puts herself out there again. And the connection like isn't fully made because uh, she's indirect. And then Toji's like not emotionally available. Um, it is just kind of like passively checked out, like receiving this. But uh, something does happen. Like Toji accepts. This is where Hikari is like offering to make lunch for Toji, um, and he's kind of like numbly responding, but he he does accept, and like Hikari's happy, and now like we have somehow made this this like very small step towards like Hikari being able to support Toji in the way that like you know she wants to, and like make this connection, um, yeah. and and I just think that this is like a really good encapsulation of it, it gestures at this like picture of humanity where there's like the always fraught, painful, impossible to fully realize like connection, but the fact that it's fundamentally necessary and like negotiating these divides is there is consolation and comfort that like that comes with that. Yeah. These are like, I think these are two of my favorite episodes of the series, despite the fact that they are like one very brutal and two, like I I am joking about the obviousness of it being Toji for a reason. Um, the like the show takes a really long time to say it explicitly as well, and I think specifically in this way of like, I think it it does that not because it doesn't think you as the viewer knows because it wants you to continue to be aware of like the way that no one is telling Shinji. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it is reaching this point where it is like, people are obviously keeping it from Shinji when everyone basically knows. And it, and is, you know, there are so many moments of like, like there's a moment of Asuka being like, Oh, you don't know who it is yet. And then just like kind of shutting down the conversation. So yeah, it's like the, that in and of itself is part of, I think the, the brutality of this episode as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and then 
it juxtaposing it with so many of these moments of like actual genuine connection and intimacy that characters are having. And, you know, there, there are multiple conversations that happen around caring and like the connections that people have, you know, there's a conversation between Asuka and Hikari where Asuka's like, what do you even see in him? And mm-hmm. Hikari's like his kindness. Um, we have the conversation with Ray and Toji that's about caring people and like, you know, the one that you care about is Shinji. Um, there's just all, all of these parts being like built up and then it, it ends in just like this absolute horror um, that also becomes heightened by both the connection that like we can presume Toji has with this Ava being ripped apart, but also that even with the dummy plug running like Shinji is still identifying with the Ava in this way of like, I forget if it's at the end of this episode or the beginning of episode 19, but Shinji screaming like, you know, you made me kill him with my own hands basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and like still identifying with like, even though it is clear to us as a viewer that like Gendo is the one doing this and um, Shinji's like literally not even in control of the Ava while it's happening there is still a guilt that Shinji is reading into of like, but the, it was my hands that got Sully with this blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a very intense episode. Um, it's one where I'm like, I feel like you said a lot of the things that I would want to say here. Um, and also it's just, it's like, it, I like these episodes a lot, but they're very difficult to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, to end it on like, one more kind of nice thing just like adding to your point about the scenes that we get of like caring and intimacy another i think important one is the scene with shinji cleaning up Rie's room where they have that yeah. exchange where it's like you you mentioned it like earlier on i think the like oh thank you i've never said those words to anyone but shinji's like empathy and his kindness which is emerging as like an important definitive trait or seeming to be. And then like Ray's reception of that, which is interesting where she's like initially angry, but then like moved by it. Um, Yeah. And especially if we think about Ray as like her only relationship is this relationship with Gendo, which has all of this content that, we were talking about earlier and knowing other things that we know about Ray, like probably not having had any other human relationships, the kind of relationship that she is being offered or presented with, with Shinji um, versus this relationship she has with Gendo, uh, I think not only ties into it to your point just now, um, but I, I want to highlight it here because like, it, I think it can help us make sense of things that happen later around that. Yeah. I don't know if we, if we want to move on to episode 19 here, both in the interest of time and also just like, again, I feel like we said some of the, the things to say here and it's mm-hmm. just otherwise like difficult to, to further go into detail about these episodes, which again, 
some of my favorite in the series also <laughs> incredibly brutal and sad yeah um, um yeah let's do uh let's move on okay so episode 19 we begin with shinji back at nerve hq after immediately following the events of episode 18 uh shinji is horrified and enraged by uh toji's near death gendo's actions and the overall deception surrounding Toji's selection to pilot Unit 3. Uh, he refuses to get out of Unit 1. And I don't think it's directly stated, but it's implied. Um, it's understood by the Nerve personnel that he's like threatening to attack to and destroy Nerve with the remaining battery in the Ava. After a failed attempt to converse with Gendo, <clears throat> Gendo is just like, I don't have time for this kid. And orders the fluid pressure and entry plug to be maximized, which like presumably like collapses Shinji's lungs or something uh, and knocks him out. Shinji is then like pseudo court-martialed by Gendo. He's put in handcuffs, interrogated, and at that point, like resolves to never pilot an Ava again um, and quits Nerve for the second time. Um, as he is leaving Tokyo 3, Conveniently, another angel appears. This is Zeruel. Yeah, this is a, a return a little bit to a more, like, some of the earlier angels we saw that are more clearly just, like, kaiju monsters. It's got, like, a weird... Uh, I feel like they're almost, like, you know, art sculptures things that would be kind of like this, where it's, like, the limbs are very short, and it's kind of a large body with, like, a wide open mouth face like it's definitely like a thing that i imagine being far easier to do in sculpture than like a full humanoid form um but then it has like these weird arm like basically like folded up paper or whatever that or like ribbon that folds down and then it attacks with so um it's Um, a cool design and it does stuff like it feels distinctly a return to a kind of kaiju angel that we haven't really seen since like the one that attacked the magi so like before then so yeah um we also get some like some of this weird christian sub subtext stuff that we haven't really even gone gone into at all um (laughs) where it's just like sometimes it's cool when the explosions look like crosses yeah it's just like these massive like explosions that it can just like trigger apparently that just take the shape of crosses for some reason <clears throat> um I'm sure we will never see that shape again in in this series we we already saw the crucified adam <laughs> yeah but that's it there's no we're not gonna yeah. see any any more crosses yeah um lance of longinus <laughs> so this angel appears and it's just like blasting through all of the armor layers protecting uh nerve hq that sea scrolls <laughs> <laughs> yeah the um yeah yeah go go back i'm just i'm just being a brat now no it's okay i mean it it's good we, we we'll just make like a repository of all the like weird christian symbolism maybe I, we'll think, tr- I think the real thing is that i just don't find a lot of it very like actually interesting um yeah there's I like think- some that we could say but some of it kind of just feels like it's cool when the explosions look like a cross. Yeah, I 
I do think that there's like, I don't know. Maybe we'll maybe we'll try and address it later. Um, maybe Brad will have lots of thoughts about it. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's just like a straightforward application of like Christological symbolism or whatever. Um, I'm also kind of just like I can't ignore this because I did like study religions for a period of time, but I'm on a tangent now, so whatever. Um, yeah. So the, it's like Zeruel is attacking. Yeah, Zeruel is attacking. Asuka sort of used to fight the angel and is quickly uh, brutally defeated. Shinji like witnesses the dismembered pieces of Unit Two raining down on the city, uh, and is horrified by what that means for Asuka. Uh, he then like encounters Kaji, who's just watering his watermelons. They more or less talk about like. Shinji's decision to quit and his ability to intervene in the situation. Um, Kaji makes a fucking between Misato's melons joke. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. I've, <laughs> this I, fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, does he. I don't know if my sub ha- says melons, but. I th- The subs I had said between Misato's breasts, but yeah. I have definitely. St- I forget if it's in the dub or something, or if it was in like the older subs that weren't the perfect one. The definitely the implication is yeah. I'm here between these melons and not Misato's. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I and I think it is like literally stated in some version. Yeah, it's it's there for sure. Yeah, um, fucking this fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> so as they're having this conversation. Ray makes a suicide run at Zeruel with a weaponless one-armed unit zero. She's holding an N2 mine. Um, she basically just like runs up and shoves the mine through the AT field or tries to and just detonates it. Doesn't work. Ray is also like brutally defeated um, while Shinji watches. Uh, Shinji is again horrified and uh, subsequently rushes back to Nerve. He arrives just in time as Zeruel is literally like breaking in <laughs> to the control room. Sortie is in Unit 1 and also is quickly wrecked uh, like the others. Um, on the verge of death, Zero with Zeruel like ripping away at Unit 1's chest armor, the Ava's, uh, a-, a core uh, identical to those of the Angels, is revealed in Unit 1. The angel begins to attack Unit 1's core, like, about to shatter it. Um, yeah, sh- as we've seen Unit 1, due like, to, yeah, due repeatedly to attack angel cores. Um, Shinji is, like, pleading with the Ava to start working. And then there is a there is a moment, you can probably guess what happens, based on what we've been talking about. Um, Shinji goes blank. There is a weird shot of, like him in the cockpit with something weird happening. And then unit one goes berserk again, re-engages and defeats the angel. And then like very much in this like animalistic primal rage that we have seen previously, um, tears apart and eats the angel's corpse. So, yeah. Yeah. And is it, the end of this episode or is it the beginning of next episode where Ritsuko or is it both where Ritsuko specifically like 
it's taking the S2 engine into itself. <laughs> it's it's both. Yeah. Um So yeah, yeah, for some reason for some reason Ritsko like is able to immediately interpret what is happening here <laughs> and the like wider consequences of this, further showing that there is a whole shitload of secrets that uh people are keeping from each other here and a bunch of like mysterious shadowy shit going on in the background of this world yeah this is this is another episode that i enjoy a lot and is also like very brutal Mm -hmm. (laughs) um like the show just goes hard here yes um and i feel like i've I personally have more to say when we get to like what then happens in the final episode that we watched episode 20. Um, Also, I did my little interjections while you were, you were talking. So I don't know if you have like specific things to get this convo started, but it's like part, part of what's difficult for me with talking about this episode in particular is this episode is like a good encapsulation of a lot of what has been happening in, in the series. Mm -hmm. And yet a lot of what happens, like there's not a ton in this that feels brand new. It just feels like it is like codifying more clearly a state that we know about what's been happening. And, you know, like we, we get a return of this classic Kaiju specifically to like further show us, okay, here's, like, the battles, here's the berserk, blah, 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 let's, like, further develop this in the next direction that episode 20 and, like, what comes next is going to to push us towards more. And so, like, as an episode itself, I don't know if I have that much even though I, to say about it, even though I, I like this episode a lot, because I, I feel like in some ways it's just, like, very clearly, like, summarizing or like bundling up the current state of things in a way that will allow like what's coming next that I think is kind of going to pivot on like episode 20 when we talk about that. Um, yeah. I, I guess like the, the one other thing I have here is just, again, it's just like one thing that I just really appreciated in the manga is that like Asuka is allowed to, to be badass and defeat the, the, um, underwater angel herself in this way that like i think perhaps intentionally but the show continues to like shinji is the only one who's ever able to to beat the angel and often sometimes it coming down to like unit one going berserk quote unquote or awakening and doing its thing um and with this in particular we kind of we get this like slight we get this like more lore or expository thing about like oh it going berserk is like it like it breaks through the armor and the armor is not actually armor it's restraints and we're trying to restrain the true power of the ava and now it's just like fully broke broken free Mm -hmm. um which i think is like the biggest new piece of information that we get here and again it's in this way where it's like i don't know how to there are some things we can say about this and that's why, like, if you have extra thoughts, like, maybe it will jumpstart me. But some of it is just, like, there's a part of me that just wants to get to episode 20. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It, a lot of this stuff is resolved in episode 20, so it's a convenient pairing. 
I think I'll just pick up with like this because I, I had some thoughts on Asuka and Shinji here. Um, so the thing about like Shinji is I was, I was thinking earlier and trying to like take inventory of all of the angel fights that he like wins. And I think with like one exception, he either like, he either does it collaboratively like with Asuka or Rey or both, or it's like in Berserk state. Like almost every time Shinji actually like defeats an angel, it is like in Berserk mode. Or on his own, it is like when it's Berserk. And in these two episodes, I think this is a moment where like the series makes it very clear that like this isn't even Shinji. Like, and this is not even like it's it's definitely not something good like or something to be admired that Shinji can and like does like do this i mean especially at the end of episode 19 like the eva becoming this like just like rabid animalistic like ravenous devouring like quadrupedal roaring like I, and I will use the word monstrosity. Like, I, I don't think, I think the show is, does not want to frame this as like, hey, look, like, this is good. Like, look, Shinji's able to unlock this, like, power. It, it's something that's supposed to be, like, I think very disturbing in, in line with, like, the overall tone of all this stuff going on around, like, with these Avas. On the flip side of this, like Asuka, when she has this fight, when she's sortieing, she's like, I can't lose ever again. Um, which plays into like, I mean, it, it reflects, first of all, like Asuka as a character, like she has this like generalized inferiority complex, which is directed like not only at Shinji, but also at Rei and Misato. And even when, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, I think it's clear that it's a complex because she is, like, projecting it at times where, like, even she's not actually inferior. And that is, like, her frame of mind when she's, like, entering into this battle. And when the, like, Zeruel slices off Unit 2's arms... She has this moment of like rage, but it's not like, and, and then she charges, and then like the head, you know, the unit whose head is cut off. Um, yeah, but this is not like a berserk, like Shinji's berserk. Like Asuka is still clearly Asuka. Like we see her in the cockpit, like making the like charge. Like she's she's charging because it, this is coming from her like embarrassment, like and her pride and her like anger from being like hum- like and of course the pain of you know her arms being cut off but like the humiliation like pride saving face all of this is coming from like a place of an intact ego and 
Whereas Shinji, like, his berserk is a complete loss of self. And that is what, like, creates this, like, berserk state that we see being so effective in, like, destroying the angels. But also, like, horrifying and terrible. Asuka can't do this because, like, for some reason, like, I I think it just has to do with, like, her character. Like, her ego does not, like, allow this in a certain way that Shinji's does. And I don't think that's, like, even a bad thing. It's just, like, Asuka being different. Um, And the consequences of this difference for, like, fighting eldritch, like, mech battles in this, like, fucked up situation. Yeah. Uh, One thing I kind of thought of when you were talking there is also the way that we were talking previously about this like connection being set up with Ray and Gendo and them kind of like in some way collaborating, you know, Mm -hmm. what, what is that real relationship? But they seem to be like, at least to some degree on the same side of like, there are all these different characters with different plans and motivations and goals that they're trying to act out. And I think we're kind of explicitly here getting the sense of, you know, in the same way that there's Rei and Gendo, there's like Shinji and Unit 1. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we specifically get Unit 1 rejecting Rei. Mm-hmm. It like has to be Shinji piloting Unit 1 now. Um, and Gendo being like, it's rejecting me. And the Ava breaking f- free from its restraints becoming this like ravenous devouring thing with Shinji inside. Um, and as we will find out in next episode, like Shinji at 400% sync rate, just like fully dissolved into the, the Ava. This is um, the secret of 400% sync rate. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so like unit one seems to also have some sort of like motivation or plan as well. That could be con- seen as like yet another, entity or yet like yet another person yet another schemer in this like story of multiple different schemers with their different schemes and that like shinji is aligned with unit one whether or not he like understands that that's what's happening Mm. um that like for in some way the the ava seems to need him to like go into this berserk mode and like be able to take greater control over what it's doing Mm. um so, yeah, I don't know if you have additional thoughts or if we want to get into episode 20 and Shinji becoming primordial soup. <laughs> no, let's go right ahead because I know you're I know you I know you're ready. Okay. So, yeah, we we start with kind of the ending images of unit 1 unrestrained. Um I actually kind of thought about pairing these two together, but they felt a little bit more distinct, but maybe maybe we should have just but and then we get this image I evoked earlier of like, you know, it's broken free from its restraints and then they have it back in the like holding place that we've seen it so often, but it's just wrapped in these white bandages, which again, I think is to some degree intentionally trying to evoke like the first time we see Ray and we learn that Shinji is trapped inside. Uh, they finally get like a feed of inside the plug suit and it seems like he is vanished. And uh, Ritsuko explains that his constituent parts have dissolved. They're all still there in the LCL, but it's become like 
this primordial soup or these primordial waters. And basically there's this plan of like, well, so technically all the things that constitute Shinji, including like all the matter as well as soul are in there. So we can just develop some sort of plan. The, the Magi system will be able to figure it out for us. Don't worry. We've done this before. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, To reconstitute Shinji's body and retether his psyche to it. And then we're, we're getting these like, things from Shinji's perspective in a state of unbeing or of, um, you know, to feel newborn is the same as feeling unborn. Mm. Uh, (laughs) We get, so one of the big ones is it's like kind of from Shinji's perspective and we get Misato, then Rei and then Asuka. They are like nude figures and it's this repeating image of them like, uh, kind of arched away from the like viewer camera and then like moving closer, arching towards saying, do you want to become one with me to be of one mind and body? It's a very, very comfortable feeling. Um, there's a little bit of like character to who's speaking where, you know, I think Asuka says like, Hey, stupid Shinji, do you want to become <laughs> one with me? Um, And then, you know, has something at the end of like, you know, it's not every day I would ask something like this or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. you should take advantage of it or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, some um, sort of, like, so... fantastical, like, you know, Shinji's, like, fantasy of Asuka or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, all of them seem to be somewhat in character with with these characters. And it it's a little bit unclear of, like, is this Shinji imagining this? Is this the Ava, like manifesting these potential women that like Shinji could have interest in and trying to like embody his perception of them. Who knows? Um, During the attempt to reconstitute Shinji, there's a part where the entry plug just like vents all the tang um, all over the floor (laughs) (laughs) and uh, as well as the floating plug suit. Um, And we get Misato like crying, holding the plug suit saying, you know, if I can't save one life, what's the point of science? And just like begging for them to give Shinji back to her. We then get from Shinji's perspective, kind of still being in unbeing, seeing Misato, having this memory of the smell of his mother. Um, I think it's kind of implied too of like, is smelling Misato or is like smelling another human in some way. And that's mm-hmm. what's triggering this memory. And then we don't really see how, but just like the plug suit has a body in it now and Shinji's there. Um, or he like, he appears like naked lying on the ground, like five yeah. feet away. Yeah. Yeah. But just like manifests and comes back into being, um, there's some other stuff that happens in like Shinji. It's a lot of just stuff around like, Oh mother, blah, blah, blah here. Like these memories I have. Um, key thing is a memory of Gendo saying, if it's a boy, we'll, name him Shinji if it's a girl Ray. So, you know, another little key thing there. And then yeah, we we kind of again like I have this pairing this up with the other scene we have of Shinji like being unborn and then reborn blah blah blah. We talked about wombs and graves and everything. Go listen to Apocalypse Girl. <laughs> um here I I think we get like another version of it and I this one is not the violent bloody version, um, but this thing where out of some sort of, you know, constituent matter, 
uh, self is formed again. Um, Shinji once again has like died in some way and been reborn. And like, interestingly here, I think there's this evocation of like Misato being the, the mother that he's reborn into or like reborn to with this pairing of like the smell of his mother and these memories he has being linked to Misato in this moment. So then, of course, Misato, knowing that Shinji is now safe, goes to fuck Kaji. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is this like scene always stands out to me. The the like intimacy intimacy of it, and some of it being expressed by this like extremely long lingering shot of just beer and cigarettes on like the nightstand, um, which then like briefly at the end gets interrupted by Kaji putting a pill on the nightstand and and saying like the first gift in eight years, possibly the last, but yeah, they, they have sort of this conversation that I'm sure we won't have any thoughts on. So <laughs> I, I will see if you have anything to say here, but so it's a totally uninteresting scene. Yeah. I mean. Um, yeah, I just like, uh, where do I go? Um, I guess the first comment is like for like several weeks now, I've been like, reading Christopher and like working on all this like stuff around objection and figuring out how I want to like bring this in and like formulating this theory about the berserk state related to that and like blah, 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 really preparing myself to like not argue it, but you know, like to bring a case for it. Um, and then I watched this episode and they're just like, yeah, like Shinji's body like lost its ego border and just dissolved into like, into like soup. And I was just like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> I guess they could just like say it explicitly here. And that makes my job a lot easier. Um, yeah. yeah, I think this is like literalizing the crisis of abjection where it's like literally like Shinji's self, 400% sync rate. The border between Shinji and Eva has become dissolved to such an extent that Shinji's like body is like turned into this soup, like that the entry plug fluid, and yeah, I mean this whole thing is just a drama <laughs> essentially about like this crisis of abjection, and crucially like Shinji is able to, uh, you know, it, for Christopher like the important thing with abjection is that. The subject needs to be able to like reconstitute itself in the face of it, and crucially, Shinji is able to do that. Does not succumb to the desire uh, for unbeing, um, for like unbirth, which is like effectively death or some form of death. And uh, yeah, so yeah, uh, a lot of the stuff I said earlier. This is just like resolving it or escalating it in a way and then just a couple like other comments um this yeah, whole thing this, this is what like i just want to say like i'm looking at our notes and being like yeah we we front load stuff on this show like we've talked about what this episode is it's just made it explicit it's just this is what the show is going to be picking up from now <laughs> yeah yeah so yes exactly um i will just like say this we have all this kind of psychodrama stuff occurring again wherein i won't go in the blow by blow but like the 
the self, like, divided subject, like, the self requires otherhood to exist. Intersubjective recognition is, like, something that is necessary um, to being a subject. Uh, but this, if if others have some, like, access to who you are, that makes you vulnerable to the views and the influence of others. And knowing that you need others in this way, even if you just know it subconsciously, um, is knowing you have this vulnerability and this lack, It it's terrifying and uh, requires a lot of, you, you have to deal with it. So of course there's a temptation to just like remove this vulnerability um, and the suffering that goes along with it in this prospect of becoming one that emerges. This prospect is like looming over all the series. We talked about it just a few, a minute, like a few minutes ago, but from the earlier psychodrama scene to the dissolution of pilots, um, and then especially to the final episode in Gendo's master plan. But I will like front load some <laughs> front load from a future episode. Um, I personally think that the series is setting up to posit this temptation as an illusory, um, as an illusory and misdirected like comfort, essentially a like, and drawing from Christopher here, like a neurotic refusal to accept the existence of otherness, um, and then a related demand, a reactive demand for totality. Um, a totality in service, obviously, of easing the psychological angst of the individual demanding it, which, you know, fundamentally, because it comes from a place of misdirected uh, neurosis, like, can uh, can never be a good thing. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> is, it, is it time for you to, to rant about um, Homeric and biblical and... Mimesis and no, <laughs> shit. No, no, it's not. No, um, we won't get around to that today. Um, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> for you, for all of our listeners out here. I have this like bullshit other like theory that I wanted to bring in for like for I've wanted to bring in for a while. Um, and this can just keeps getting kicked down the road, but. It's all good. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have a guest next time. Like you're gonna have to do this for End of Evangelion. <laughs> it's you're looking at the we're both looking at the notes right now. Yeah, and like it's not gonna be that long. Um, I think I've actually made like a good amount of through discussion. We've we've basically made the the gist of these points about like what makes Ava's narrative style unique. I can just wrap it all up like. In a future episode. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm just laughing as we continue to kick this can. <laughs> yeah, it, it is funny. And hopefully, you know, I think I've made a reference to this, like wanting to do this in every episode so far. And I hope that the listeners are just like, oh, yeah, I'm really excited to get this like narrative theory bullshit. So, yeah. Well, They've at least had plenty of time to read Mimesis, the representation of reality in Western literature by <laughs> Eric Auerbach. 
uh, so they can like really know what you're talking about as they as you bring this up. So yeah, it is. You know, you got two more weeks, listener. It's only it's At only least. a 500 page like book of literary theory. So. Yeah, possibly a month. Like we might do not do this until end of Evangelion. So you have two weeks to a month, dear listener. Yeah, there you go. You know, all you have to honestly, if you really want to uh, look at that, all you have to do is read chapter one, and you'll you'll probably have a sense of what I'm getting you. So anyway, um, are are we are we finishing? We're only three hours into recording, Connor. This this feels early. I I can go longer if you want, but I know we haven't even touched on this uh, sex scene yet. So oh we're, yeah, I we're guess. liable to go further. <laughs> I mean, I just i I enjoy this scene a lot. I think it it plays to the strength of Evangelion's ability to like show you the environment. This is the thing that I think that happens in anime more often than Western animation in general. But I think that Evangelion plays to particularly well, which is like let us show you the space. And this is one that like obviously it's very easy to animate just a a shot of cigarettes in a ashtray and a glass of beer while two people have a conversation. But also I think it, it works. There is like a, there's this indirectness, but also like allowing for a greater degree of vulnerability than I think you would normally have in animation. Um, especially something that was like meant to air on TV and, uh, I I mean, I'm not going to say that, like, the way that this show handles having Misato moan is necessarily perfect, but it <laughs> it could be a lot creepier. Yeah. <laughs> and it, like, it, it feels like it is actually touching on something about, like, Misato as a character and her attempts to connect and this, like, relationship that Misato has with Kaji that uh, continues to be one of the most interesting parts of the show to me, even as I'm like chafing against it specifically in the ways that I think it like could be more interesting in terms of my own experiences with like being brat for brat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, I don't know if you have like other specific thoughts here. It is, like it 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 works for me and it it is a it is a scene that i think is like i i think the way that they handle it and again like i'm saying this being like and it's also very easy to animate this but that has the strong tension that we've been talking about between like vulnerability and openness and yet also like the difficulty of connecting with people um, the Kaji dodging a question with sex mm-hmm. is like, again, like I think there could be context where that would come off as way creepier, but here it, f- it feels more in line thematically with some of the other stuff that's happening of like these ways that those comforts are also like deceiving in some way. And the way that like the, 
the conversation and then the sex are like two different ways of them relating to each other that are in conflict mm-hmm. and like not allowing for like a true expression to happen. Also, my cats keep trying to break in, so sorry for the bad audio listeners. <laughs> for what's worth, I can't I can't hear any cat carnage. Um, I can I can see my my little audacity bar hitting the like forty eight to forty two like negative forty eight to negative forty two decibels. <laughs> so we'll we'll see if noise reduction gets it. Um, anyway <laughs> yeah sorry i didn't know if you had any any more uh comments on that i'm I, i'm kicking the can over to you to then kick down the road <laughs> yeah, well, my specialty um yeah i think i mean i think you've done a good job of uh basically hitting all, all the major points on that i do think i just bring this up because we've talked about sexualization in uh, of like characters whether it does or does not uh regard with regard to ava and this is a a scene where it's like a very clear choice to not do that which like i think animating it in this way that you described has other functions as well um yeah thematically but here is like a significant moment where it's like clearly choosing not to. And there are other moments where, where similar choices are made. So I just want to like mark that. Yeah. Like, I guess I'll, I'll briefly talk about this too of like the, even just the image of the cigarettes in the ashtray and the beer is something that like, uh, resonates with me for for various reasons. One is like I'm gonna again say like, feel free to go listen to the Hot Singles episode. Um, I talk a little bit about cigarettes because of the song Young Boys by Sinfang, which you know I talk about. That's the like Flowers is the album that I brought, um, which the first track is Young Boys, and that is a song that has the like chorus of We Were Young Boys Smoking in the Woods, and that for me. And I think also it's like captured in that song, whether intentionally or not. I I have this connection with like when I was in high school being a punk kid and smoking cigarettes is this like delinquent thing. And then like the societal delinquency of queerness um, and this moment that I return to in my own past of one of my punk friends talking about how going to punk shows are like, it's so gay because it's just a bunch of guys like getting really sweaty and smashing their bodies against each other. And me thinking, I don't know if he's saying this, like it's a good thing or a bad thing and being hyper aware that the cigarette that I was currently smoking while we were having that conversation was one that I had bummed off of him and he had put between his lips to light before giving to me. And that I was now like, putting between my lips and so for me as a a former smoker who doesn't really smoke anymore like when I do smoke it's if I'm like at a bar or if I'm at a show and I'm like hanging out with someone and they're smoking and it's like it still has this weird connection of intimacy to me and in this scene like Misato is like you know, Kaji makes something of like, oh, I didn't know you smoked. And she was like, oh, it's only after like stuff like this, which means basically you only ever like you're the only one who ever sees the side of me. And this is all just stuff that's like personally resonating with my experiences, but that I think is also 
capturing this like weird intimacy that exists with some of this stuff. And that's like part of, I think also why it, it works so well because that image to me of like, here's the glass of beer and the two cigarettes in an ashtray. Um, and we are just lingering on this while we listen to them talk and then have sex is like pointing at some weird interplay between uh, intimacy and distance that I think like is existing in this scene and exists for me in a, in a lot of these kinds of weird relationships. So yeah, that's my like little final note ramble. <laughs> no, I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's, it's an excellent one. And this, all of these like relationships that Ava is sketching out are all like rich in their way, but especially with this, like, Kaji Misoto relationship, like or Misato, um, all all this stuff is so at stake with like the alienation and intimacy and struggling with like this division between people and having sexuality be like deeply implicated in that. And I think the fact that I mean, we've we've gone over like the stuff about this relationship that is troubling, but I think that just like the gestalt of this relationship and all of its like fractures and all of its like, I mean, I'll, I'll use the word violence, like all of the violence within it, and then all of this other like deeply real like intimate like connection that occurs it is all just because it is complicated and because some parts of it are fucked up is like very very rich because we have to grapple with like all of the because we have to grapple with everything and like yes it would be nice to like have a very like healthy aspirational like relationship represented that we could talk about um i mean when i say like i want a better portrayal of this rat for rat stuff that doesn't necessarily mean that i want it to be like fully healthy and aspirational sure yeah. um some of it is coming from just like me being a gay mess and being someone who like this is the the primary form that a, relationships especially like romantic relationships in my life have taken and the ones that have been like more positive but there there is still like a messiness to i i think if the place that you are often at in terms of like this is how i express love to someone is like making fun of them <laughs> there's something going on there <laughs> that is not necessarily like even in and of itself fully healthy and aspirational even if it like does end up in a good place <laughs> yeah so yeah and i and i wish it was like I don't know, like, I feel like there could be still interesting, messy stuff here that just didn't lean into as much of, like, 
some of the really creepy stuff for me with Kaji. And that that's really what I'm like wishing like there there could be a different version of this that I think would actually be more interesting. Um Yeah. And but maybe that's also just my lack of interest in like fully engaging with those tropes in a way that the, I think the show might be more actively trying to do. Yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, like those comments were not <laughs> directed at like overturning what what you were talking about. Um I think even with what you're saying, like, just to piggyback on it, like, the, the messiness is, like, the point, uh, almost, yeah. like, in, in Ava. Like, the messiness is the point, and, like, because Kaji is this, like, is this, like, trope, um, but also, like, a real, I mean, there are, like, many people in the world who are actually, like, chauvinistic in this way and like womanizing and all of that like this i probably not surprisingly like the it hits for me in a way of like yeah like this is the messiness is the point and like the fact that this guy is so disappointing in these ways and like infuriating and disgusting and yet like misato still loves him or, like, you know, I don't want to overstep my bounds, but, like, she likes him, at least. Um, yeah. And they've, like, hurt each other. You know, there's this whole submerged history, and there's all this shit between them. And yet they're still, like, coming together in these ways. And they do have something. Like, just the whole, like, messiness of that, I think, um, I, I, I think is interesting. And... A representative example of how Ava is just like, yeah, um, people are messed up, relationships are messed up <laughs> and messy, but there is value in like trying to struggle with that and be together. Like, well, not only do we have to, but there is value and some comfort that can be achieved. So on on that topic, I guess, shall we wrap up? do our our final ending stuff yeah i think so (laughs) so uh on the topic of of messy relationships uh next time we will be discussing episodes 21 through 26 of evangelion this is the end of the tv show and we will be joined by special guest brad nelson a a friend who goes all the way back to when i was on live journal in high school and uh who i kind of drifted away from because of a weird messy breakup that happened between Brad and another mutual friend. So, <laughs> uh, messy relationships. And yeah, this will, this will be like the first time that we've spoken with our voices to each other since like basically when we used to call e- each other in high school and talk about Ava. So it'll, it'll be interesting. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. It's very on theme here. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So thank you for listening. If you want to write into the podcast, you can write into ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. I, right now we're like in a, in terms of our real life, as we were recording this in like a slew of doing question bucket episodes, because it's been a bunch of like fairly short series that we're doing. Um, but there'll be a long break. <laughs> 
from question bucket episodes when we do Evangelion. But please write in. Looking forward to your questions. I'm I'm sure we'll talk for like five hours. <laughs> yeah, if, if we get if we get more questions, then you know the episode length is liable to increase exponentially. Yeah. We get like two emails and we're like, okay, well, we're going to talk about this for four hours. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, who knows? Like three, three emails? I guess that's six hours. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have like a, yeah, a week long recording session eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Just like putting out 10 hour episodes into the feed. Um, no, God, I would not be able to edit that. <laughs> yeah. That might mind. be the point at which we are actually like break episodes into yeah, when we hit uh, the Alexander Plots level, that's where we've gone too far. I can deal with Tarkovsky, but um, cannot deal with Berlin Alexander Plots. Yeah. Um, anyway, thank thank you for listening to our long rambling podcast. Uh, if you like our podcast and you want to check out other podcasts that are on the network and are, are maybe slightly less long and rambling, you can go to Export Audio uh, exportaud.io or patreon.com slash export audio. Um, unlike Connor, actually support the network. Uh, if you do just $1 a month, you can listen to some of the episodes early. Um, Ghost Divers is not one of them because I do not. I mean, I edit these early sometimes. <laughs> I'm still in the middle of like editing the first Ava episode. So um, listen, it's been, it's been an intense month. Um, yeah, and then you can follow the podcast at Ghost Divers Pod. Uh, you can follow me at Fox Mom Nia. Where can people follow you, Connor? You can follow me at Rabelais if you are not doing so already. Yeah, lots of great content there. <laughs> um, speaking of great content, you can also go to Garf Read Aloud to uh, watch me read Garfield aloud into a camera every day, um, or almost every day. Sometimes, sometimes I don't. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> See you next time. Ah! Fly me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a podcast. Awesome. All right, let's do it. Let's time dot is here. Oh yeah. Look at you being on top of things. I know. I'm. I'm learning. I'm almost. I've almost mastered the basic requirements of <laughs> our podcast. Uh, one, two, fifteen. Okay. And by one, I mean twelve for you, because you're.
Yeah. The time's in behind me. You can just say the seconds, Connor. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it didn't occur to me. Um, this is my favorite part where you were trying to say the full time while we were recording with Autumn and they were just like, I'm going to podcast stop, do it at 42 or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was nice. It's, you know, sometimes it's just. It's just a lot. Yeah. Dealing with time that is. All um, right. Yeah. Uh I, I'm really happy with that. Um, and the whole like hour bot thing, whatever. I'm not worried about that. I just think it'll be funny with me laughing about us kicking the can down the road yet again. It would be so funny if this ended up being in like in the question bucket. We just yeah, we just never do it for the actual podcast, and then you're just like, the non-anime thing I brought was Mimi's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I like it's funny when I my like I should put this. I've been very pleasantly like surprised at how much my like thoughts on the series have like changed as as we've rewatched it and i remember like coming into it being like this is very important i really need to get like the hour box stuff out there because this is so important to like what i think is like unique and what i think that this kind of like what i think this narrative style is doing and, like, I do think it's important, but I'm just, like, at a point now where I'm, like, we've talked around this enough to where I'm, like, yeah, it, it I don't, I think people can more or less connect the dots. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, the other stuff that, like, the, like, Christopher stuff, I think, is, like, m- much more interesting and useful for actually like bringing out the content of the series yeah i know i'm i'm looking forward to next episode as well because i feel like sometimes i've had like difficulty knowing how to really approach some of the notes and what to talk about just because i'm like i don't want to just like fully go into like ray and koru but i also know that's like so central to my read Mm. and so there's so much of me like how how am I setting this up? And my focus has shifted to like, okay, like I know he's gonna die soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll bleep this when I put it in the the end of pod stuff. But like, <laughs> and like, so let me focus in on like, okay, how am I relating with Misato? What do I think is going on with like Asuka? Because I know once we get to next episode, I'm going to be like, okay, like Shinji Koru Ray, this is like all I care about now. Yeah, yeah. You're just going to like, <laughs> like laser focus. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been like over focusing, I think, in some ways on like the Asuka 
Misato Kaji like triad thing happening just because it's like okay I feel like I can more specifically talk about this whereas I can't really talk about what's going on with Ray right now um yeah um I to for what's worth I don't think it, it hasn't felt like over focusing to me um I I think I mean it, it has been interesting just because of how much I really did not identify with the adult characters in this show when I first watched it and now like Misato is the one that I most see myself in so it has been like interesting to I knew that from the manga but it's been interesting to like have the show confirm that and that it's not just something about the way the manga is written even if maybe some of my connection with Misato still comes from like having read the manga while I while I was coming out as trans so I I have definitely been surprised at almost every character I I feel at least somewhat different of or about than like I remembered um, yeah, and I think that's really it's it's really fascinating in like a satisfying way. And there's like characters that I don't even I'm like identifying with characters that in ways that I'm like that I wasn't expecting, but that are like satisfying. Like I this time around, like I feel a lot more like for Oscar than I did. And in some ways, like, I actually, like, identify with her somewhat, while also just being, like, I so little understand. Like, I have no insight into what being, like, a teenage girl is. Uh, And so that's all just, like, completely befuddling. But some of the stuff about, like, ego and whatnot, um, it's just, like, hits for me uh more now than like it did before yeah wow Um, but yeah anyway i know you want to probably ward off your cats and get some sleep yeah bye see ya Uh, i'm gonna stop recording (laughs) okay (laughs) me too now recording record there we go Okay. Um, the last time we had a bunch of audio issues, were we also trying to record Sunday? Like, maybe we just need to not do Sundays. Yeah. Yeah, we were. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll, we'll see how this goes, and if it fails, we'll just not do Sundays ever. Yeah. What's interesting is... I just... I don't expect the, like, internet traffic demand to be that much greater on sunday night versus saturday night yeah Um, yeah i don't know but you know it's probably just a curse yeah it's either a curse or just all those church going folks getting ready early to go to church the next morning but not work i guess um oh yeah yeah (laughs) no yeah yeah i have no idea yeah, they're purifying themselves by not going on the internet mm-hmm. in, in yeah, preparation for for their sacred ritual at church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you wouldn't want to slaughter the goat with unclean hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, most Christians in, in the United States, like, 
really take their religion seriously enough to to do that you know yeah they really like you know they really have a, a deep like regard for the sacred that involves being willing to make personal sacrifices um, <laughs> so i'm like blah 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 okay there we go I, I was just like why is my audio so low um yeah it was actually funny when i was on hot singles i was like very quiet before we were starting recording and autumn was just like okay like there's regs and then like nia's just really quiet in my headphones do i need to like bump her up and then <laughs> uh made a joke about how i pronounce pajamas and i just like went hard <laughs> and autumn was like oh no there there it is that's it <laughs> yeah no there, oh there's no problem with here yeah yeah um and then it was funny because they were posting like you know here's all the stuff lined up by it ended up being almost four hour episode which i think is the longest episode of hot singles so of course clearly it's me <laughs> yes everything you're involved in just no i think i think maybe you're just so used to ghost divers you know you just like brought that yeah. to, to hot singles I mean, it was a it was a really good conversation. Like, if, if someone anyone's listening to this post pod content, like, go back and find it. It's the like, uh, flowers, apocalypse girl, and transformer episode. It it was like a fantastic episode. I I know I'm biased because I was on it, but I think it was like an incredibly good episode of that podcast. So, um, you know, fans of the podcast said all four hours were great. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny that um, you're, it's funny that your bias is like, I was on it. So I think it's good. Cause my bias is just like, <laughs> so the opposite where I'm just like, every time someone's like, Oh, I was listening to your podcast. I'm just like, well, you weren't so put off by me that you actually listened to like something that I was talking in for three hours. Yeah. It's really like, <laughs> you, <laughs> you must really be a selfless person to do that for me. I'm I'm just trying to like live my most vain self on a podcast um but yeah, yeah. i Good. so so autumn <laughs> was like posting the like oh here's all the audio lined up like look at how long this was and i just said like i can see the exact moment you made fun of how i say pajamas because <laughs> it's it's like spiking yeah it's just like suddenly like my audio at the very beginning is just low and then suddenly there's a giant spike that's hilarious so. Yeah, I'll have to check that out when it when it comes out for all of us, like non-subscribing <laughs> peons. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people might listen to it and be surprised at just like the degree of faggoty shit that I say. But I think really? I don't think I don't think you'll be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> you think you think that will be surprising? Um, I think you'll be like, oh yeah, this is definitely a version of Neve that I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I will await that moment eagerly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's wild. It was a lot of fun though. That's cool. When y'all told, when you told me y'all were doing three albums, I was like, oh, that's, it's a lot. Um, yeah. Well, cause everybody brings an album. Yeah, which is cool and makes sense. But especially when, like, you and Autumn were kind of, I can't remember if it was when we were doing Question Bucket or 
like outside of that, and you were talking about the preparation that y'all were doing for just the like Transformer album. Oh yeah, I was like, okay, I mean, we did that read a book three. in addition. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, that times three. This is gonna be a long podcast. Um, I think I think the most prep went into Transformer. I ended up not rereading a lot of, I have a book of like the history of Icelandic music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up not rereading much from it because I was like, I, I know this, like I've given a talk on this before. I'm just like, it's just like small details that I don't even need to mention of like, what was the name of the music critic that first applied Kroot to Moom? Yeah. Like, yeah. I can yeah. just say it was first critically ap- applied to Moom. Like I don't yeah. have to. <laughs> The person deserves to be anonymized. Yeah, honestly. Contested term. Yeah. Anyway. It's, it's sad that music criticism just is so often disappointing and just feels us so often. Yeah. So um, if you are disappointed in music criticism, you should listen to Hot Singles, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, where, where you just take music critics to to task and don't say their names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I will never be on the podcast again to talk about CROs at some point probably and just like really rail on the Pitchfork critical analysis of that band. Yeah, Pitchfork is the the I have like a whole tangent on Pitchfork that Maybe maybe we should just do some other time. We could have that conversation because I think it would yeah, be kind of fun. We should like record a podcast because it's uh 8.45. Yeah. 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 I guess um, we could do that. Okay. Good idea. <laughs> uh, time dot is. All right. Um. Nine forty six thirty two. Oh, I, I didn't hear you at all. Um, I mean, I have the spikes on my end. Do you do you want to do it again or? Um, I mean, if it sounded good to you, I guess it's no big deal. I just I just need the lines, basically. Okay, no uh, problem. Let's soldier on. Yeah. Oh, and I, I decided to have you start doing the synopses mostly just because, where is it? Is it, um, I think it was actually the, I wanted to do the next one, 15, um, just because of some of the stuff with like Misato and Shinji and the fact mm-hmm. that it was hard for me to write that synopsis without it being in my voice (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah thanks for thinking of that ahead of time because last time i had to catch it and be like oh if i read this it's gonna be it's it's gonna sound weird uh because this is definitely not in my voice and this this says some things i wouldn't probably say (laughs) you're probably not going to describe misato as a messy bitch (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah that's what i was thinking of Mm-hmm. Um, All right. Well, let's get into it. Okay.
Hello. Hello. Hey, what's up? Um, not much. I am back from the bathroom, and I, I was wearing those like leathery pants again. Oh, I, I don't know if I know those ones. Um, so on a, on a previous recording, I changed at the very beginning because it's like the faux leather leggings. Um, and I was worried that they might make sound. And I was just like, I think it's fine. Um, and I don't think they were making sound, but like my closet just gets stuffy because it's a closet. Um, and they're like not very breathable. So I was feeling like weirdly um, hot. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I have that problem when I wear my leather pants too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you would, you would look good in some leather uh, leather pants. It would be like a, like a, a certain, touching on like the glam rock like i'm specifically thinking right now of lou reed as like not a glam rocker but that transformer is kind of a glam rock album mm-hmm. um of like you're not a glam rocker but i think you could rock some leather pants in that vibe okay so something to think about wow yeah that's that's really <laughs> flattering and i'm not even being yeah. like facetious <laughs> i appreciate that um yeah well i'll <laughs> I feel like you would just like, you'd have like a black shirt on too. And so it'd be like, it would be all black, but you would have like the shine of the the leather pants compared to like the dull shirt. I think it'd just be like a good kind of, like I was wearing the, my, my faux leather leggings with my, um, I've never done drugs, not even beer. I have never heard of sex sweatshirt, which is black because I like the, like the contrast of the dark, of like the dull black sweatshirt and then like the shiny pants. Um, so it's like an all black look, but still has some, like some interesting difference, you know, some contrast still. Yeah. I can't wait to tell Sarah about that. You think I should, that you think I could pull off leather pants. (laughs) She may be like, I'm just saying it would be a look. I'll be like, well, you'll never see it. (laughs) Okay. You ready? Yeah. Episode 16. (laughs) So I'm like, I'm quick looking. Some, I'll probably cut this. When is the part where I need to start mentioning at your Juness? Um, do, do, do. I don't think you put it in. Yeah. Oh, wow. No, that'll be a while. That's like when we're doing Gundam. Because <laughs> <laughs> I started on April 9th, 2022. Um, I can't remember if it was like 2021 when I'm doing that. Anyway, 